1: Mrs. America, and all the ships at sea, let's go to press. The big story is the fact that Americans are not living as long as they should. Uh, you might have heard about this. This was widely covered last week, but I don't think it got the, I don't think it got the necessary attention and analysis. Well, here we are, the United States... And our life expectancy is still going up, but it is not going up nearly as much as the rest of the industrialized world. Let me give you the statistics, and then we're going to ask my favorite question, which is, of course, why? In the, United, the United States once had one of the most prolonged life expectancy rates of all countries on Earth. If you think about it, it makes sense. We're a relatively wealthy country. We're very lucky in terms of uh, natural resources and things like that. As recently as 1950, not a long time ago in the grand scheme of things, what's that? That's uh, what is it? 70 something years? 74 years? 73 years? That's nothing. In, in the historical terms, that's nothing. In 1950, we were ranked 13th in the world in terms of life expectancy. And right now, The data shows that Americans' good health and access to good health care is declining rapidly. According to the current data, where do you think we're ranked today? Keep in mind, in 1950, we were ranked 13th. According to the current data, we are ranked 53rd place among the 200 nations they counted. We're not even in the top 25 percent. We have fallen 40 spots since 1950. We are below South Korea. We are below Slovenia. We are, uh, uh, we are below Guadeloupe. I have to be honest. I have heard of Guadalupe. I can't say I've never heard of it. But if you were to have asked me after a night that I haven't gotten a lot of sleep and said, hey, quick, gun to your head, is Guadalupe a country or a city? I don't know that I could give you the right answer. In a public statement uh, regarding this new U.K.-based report on life expectancy, Dr. Jonathan Philippin, who's a lecturer at uh, Queen Mary University of London on the politics of health systems, said that both the U.K. and the U.S. have been lagging behind other high-income countries. Here's a quote. We do need to look at the predominant ideologies running at both nation states, explaining that the liberal approach ushered in by Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher and President Ronald Reagan had disastrous consequences to their population's levels of equality. The U.S., here's the good news, the U.S. still enjoys one of the most prosperous economies in the world, alongside Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, and the U.K., the the G7 countries. However, while markets can continue to thrive in these countries, some people are saying they might also exacerbate Inequalities. These wealthy nations are relied upon to lead the way when it comes to solving major world issues, particularly on issues like uh, trade, for instance, or security. But we are trailing behind all of our G7 partners when it comes to life expectancy. We are behind all of them by at least 20 spots. Currently, The average life expectancy in the U.S. is about 77 years. That is a nine-year improvement from 1950, but that increase has been outpaced by other G7 members. So since 1950, six of the seven G7 countries have added more than 12 years to their average life expectancy, including Japan. Meanwhile, the nation with the most impressive improvement, although it's not part of the G7, is has now been ranked eighth. And that is South Korea, with a relative increase of a whopping, since 1950, 293%. Uh, so this data is from the scientific nonprofit Our World in Data. I'm going to uh, link to it on my Facebook page, and you can read it at uh, facebook.com slash MuranoFan. I find this pretty alarming. Now, the U.K. doctor that I quoted he was speaking to the New York Post, I believe. He he attributes this squarely to politics. I wonder if there's more to it than that, though, because one of the things that's so frustrating is in spite of the direction that our life expectancy is going in as a country, we are spending more on health care than a dozen other of the wealthiest countries. So how can that be? This reminds me of the conversation that we had a year ago of how can we be in a situation where it costs a fortune to live there, no one could afford to live there, but crime is still out of control. Usually you should have one or the other. But again, we're in the worst of times and the worst of times. We are paying a fortune for health care, and yet we're dying way too young. And I'm curious as to why you think that's the case. Is this a function of uh, the quality of America's healthcare system? It system? Is, is it a function that too many people are on drugs, dying of drug overdoses? Is this, uh, does this have something to do with COVID? Does this something, have something to do with the American diet? Does this have something to do with uh, Americans not taking adequate time off? Or is there something else at play here? 800-848-9222. What do you think the story is? 800-848-9222. The U.S. is also the only high-income country that uh, doesn't provide uh, some sort of free health care. That's according to a nonpartisan think tank, the Commonwealth Fund. The top 15 countries for life expectancy. Number one, Monaco. Monaco. You know what the life expectancy in Monaco is 85.9 years. Number two, not far behind that, Hong Kong, 85 and a half. Macau, Japan, Australia, Switzerland, Malta, South Korea, Liechtenstein, Norway, Sweden, Spain, Italy, Singapore and then Canada. So I'm curious why you think this is the case and what can be done about it. We have an action-packed show for you. Let me tell you what's coming up. First of all, we're going to go through your mail uh, next hour. So if you want to email me and get your letter read on the air, you can do so at uh, frank.morano at uh, wabcradio.com. That's frankm M O R A N O at wabcradio.com. Coming up in about uh, 10 minutes, we're going to talk with Dom Crispino, who's been a guest on this show before, who's a great guy. He was an attorney, and then he became a felon, actually served time, two separate instances in state prison. And uh, we're going to get into this Trump indictment. He knows what it's like to be indicted as a, a former You know, as a convicted felon himself, he also knows what it's like to be in a courtroom because he was a very well-regarded attorney. He's looked at this uh, this Trump case six ways from Sunday. And uh, obviously, we're going to know more in a few hours once the uh, charges are officially unsealed. So we're going to get into that in a big way. But in the meantime, I want you to answer my question. Why are Americans dying so young? U.S. life expectancy is in free fall. As the young, and to some extent the poor, are bearing the brunt of kind of where we are. 800 848 That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. It seems like we're spending a lot of money on health care, but we're not getting that bang for our buck. I have no problem spending more money on, on health care. We just spent, I just got a note from my wife, who's unfortunately awake right now because my son uh, was up for two hours until minutes ago. But we just spent $250 on cat medication, right? And wrong medication. But that's neither here nor there. So I don't mind spending money for health care. But don't you think that we should get some results for that? So the trends are moving in the opposite direction. Spending is going up. Life expectancy, at least as in comparison to the rest of the world, is going down. So American life expectancy compares extremely unfavorably with the rest of the industrialized world. What do we do about it? Americans are dying earlier than the English. We're dying earlier than the French. And we're spending a whole lot more money to get there. Obviously, I'm sure COVID did play a role. Uh, COVID hit life expectancy across the world. But the U.S. stands alone in having lost an extra year to non-COVID causes, including opioids, including violence. And uh, this is very troublesome, very troublesome. And I don't know, you know, everybody that's talking about running for president now or running, I think they should make this a big issue. I would love to see every presidential candidate say, elect me and I will expand American life expectancy because of X. That's a real issue. That's what I want to hear about. I don't want to spend endless hours, weeks, and months looking at uh, indicting our political enemies or uh, some just silliness. 800 848 Where do you come down? Christine is in Manhattan. Hello, Christine.
2: Hi. Thanks. This opportunity to speak. I'm a registered nurse. I've been a registered nurse since 1975 and I've watched healthcare deteriorate abominably and it was escalated during the Bloomberg administration when he got himself an extra term and proceeded to close down many or most of uh, New York's hospitals and nursing schools.
1: Right, but them, understand, so- Christine, and I'll let you make your comment on a bridge. But just so everybody listening understands, this is not just a New York problem. This is the whole country.
2: Can I speak or not? Go ahead, Christine. Okay, I, I live in New York, and I also look around the country and I see what's going on. Talk about the country—we got Zeke Manuel. This is the father of uh, Sarah Palin's death panels. He gets appointed by Obama. They cut $750 billion out of Medicare. They install the death panels, which was Ezekiel Manuel's personally selected experts to cut Medicare further. And his policy, as he stated publicly, this is not a secret thing, he said seniors deserve health care. Based on their lifespan and their usefulness to society, this guy is a Malthusian Nazi all right so, so do you uh, do you wonder why people are dying when that 's what they 're doing, cutting health care and also deteriorating the quality? of caregivers. The nursing schools they have now are focused on socialized medicine. They lowered the standards to get an RN license for New York State. So how do you explain,
1: Christine, then?
2: I'm uh, trying to explain uh, it. Thank you.
1: you. You're just too annoying. You're too annoying for me. I have no problem, and I think I've been very patient. I have no problem letting you say whatever you want, but just don't be rude. Johnny's in Baltimore. Hello, Johnny.
3: Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Hello, Johnny. What's going on? All right. I think it's – now, this is just my opinion. It's three causal factors. One is stress because of the inflation, the work hours, people worrying about their jobs. The second is the diet. If you notice on all the countries that you had up in there in the top ten or whatever – They're on a kind of Mediterranean Mm. or fish
1: diet. Hello? Yeah, I'm listening. I I think that's a great
3: point. Yeah, and then the third is that our philosophy here is for the doctors to either drug you or cut you. It's not holistic of being taught at schools a proper diet, lifestyle. Cut the hours, different things, so that has a cumulative effect. Now your healthcare system needs to be upgraded, but it is actually, you know, garbage in,
4: garbage out. I so
1: I think you know I think that's a great point that you raise about diet because I looked at the other countries in the top 15 and you you're right they're not maybe not all of them are mediterranean certainly I don't think the south Koreans are are no, mediterranean that's a fish, but fish diet, so. they're not loading everything that they eat in south korea with partially hydrogenated vegetable oil and high fructose corn syrup that's a good point you know, I, and as far as I'm aware high fructose corn syrup is actually illegal in most of the G7 countries that I just alluded to. And yet, here, it's in everything. Look at the labels of what you're eating. It's in everything. I think diet is an important factor. And I think, and look, uh, John Katsimatidis has covered this with Rita Cosby on their program in talking with people like DEA agent Derek Waltz and others. It's the drug problem. I mean, w- no country is killing themselves with, killing themselves with drugs the way Americans are. And then I think we have to get to the root cause of that. Why are we all on drugs? Now I'm not on drugs, but I think I'm the only one here in the studio that's not. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. 848 9222 800
4: 848 9222 Uh Jeff is on Long Island. Hello, Jeff. Hey, what's going on, buddy? This is Jeff here, your buddy from Ma- Manville.
1: Hey, Jeff, what's a good
5: word?
4: I think on because every every everybody just everything's about stress.
1: Jeff, I think it's a great point. I, I don't know that I would go so far as to say it's 99.9% of the problem, but I think it's significant. So what can we do as a country, whether uh, on an individual basis, as, uh, as policymakers, as, a governmental in, as governmental institutions, healthcare providers, doctors, whomever, parents, what can we do as a nation to de-stress if you believe that's the fundamental problem?
4: It, it just because, I mean, I, I look at myself. I'm 60, 62 years old, right? I have a mortgage that's through the, mortgage, be, you know, mortgages, and you have to, um, what do you call it? You have to, you got to, um, every, every, I have three jobs. My wife has a job. And it's just to survive it's just crazy so it and you know you got children and you gotta do this you gotta do that I every mean, I mean, when when I was born and raised my mother was home my father worked so now my wife has to work I have to work it's it, 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 I think stress is the biggest problem to to survive, you know, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, Jeff, A uh, good point. And I think your point about the economic health of the country being linked to our physical health is a fine one. Scott is in Brooklyn. Hello, Scott.
6: Yeah, uh, I was saying, I think one of the causes is uh, we have people from all over the world. We have northerners living in the south where there's tremendous, tremendously high rates of skin cancer. Uh, we have, right here in Brooklyn, the people that live the longest, I think, are the Russians. They exercise a lot, they walk, they ride bicycles, and they seek medical care. The medical care is out there. There are people that refuse to take a pill for high blood pressure. There are people, it's, it's there. You could walk into any clinic. You can get your pills. And we have so many different nationalities in a a small area. It's almost like the Lower East Side in the the early 1900s. Tremendously high infant mortality rate. Uh, Men killed uh, just by going on the subway. People refusing to take pills, refusing to go to doctors. Doctors write prescriptions every day for young men who have high blood pressure and they won't take it because they're because they think they're going to become impotent from it. so uh, I think that's one of the reasons is that
1: true but, do you really get impotent from the high no, blood absolutely. pressure pill? I, I know
6: health care is out there I really believe what? it's out there and so if, but people refuse to to go people don't want to wait online in the clinic they don't want to take their pills. For one reason or another, oh, I'll take it tomorrow. So, oh, I'll stop. I'll stop. I'll stop my diet tomorrow. Scott, I'll stop smoking tomorrow.
1: Scott. Well, first of all, smoking actually is significantly less than what it was in 1950. So we actually have made a lot of progress on the stop smoking front. Uh, not doing so well in terms of opioid use and drinking alcohol, which are certainly contributors to all these lifestyles. How about the, the
6: other drugs? Well, yeah, about
1: uh, all the other drugs. Yeah, the, the uh, uh, opioids are really the driver. Of overdose deaths, though, um, on the on the subway front, in terms of getting killed in the subway, you, that we did have twenty nine people injured in the subway last year, but no one died in the subway. So I don't think that's
6: a driver. Well, uh, I I, think, I don't think it's the the biggest cause. Well, well no, I mean but, it's,
1: it's not a cause
6: because no I, one died. I still it. I still feel it's people refuse to seek medical. Well, so care. Scott, let me ask you, you this question. On the, Scott, yeah, uh,
1: sure. let me ask you. Why are men specifically, it sounds like you're taking issue, but, but maybe all Americans, why are Americans uniquely negligent about their health care maintenance, whereas an Italian, a Spaniard, an Englishman, a South Korean isn't? Why does the South Korean man take his blood pressure medication but not the American?
6: It's not the, that I don't know. Maybe they, 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 I think they put more faith in the doctor. We I don't.
1: See. I see. So there's this inbred cynicism that could be uniquely about American. The medical
6: profession, about the medical profession itself. Interesting.
1: Interesting, Scott. Thank you. 800-848-9222, 800-848-92-22. Uh, David is in the Boogie Down Bronx.
7: Hello, David. Hey, Frank. Um, all right. This issue is multifaceted. Um, your callers have mentioned a lot of the main things, but let me just say this. If you look at the countries with the higher life expectancies than us, they have national health care, they have uh, paid vacation, they have subsidized child care, people pay a lot less for their medications, and they don't have the horrible American diet. All of these things contribute to these numbers, and we're not going to fix any of them because Americans are resistant to government involvement in their lives. Just what this last caller was saying about people not getting medical, uh, not wanting to see the doctor or get meds, why don't they see the doctor? Because they don't have medical coverage or it's expensive. I didn't see – I didn't know I was diabetic for 20 years because even though I worked, I didn't have health insurance. And to me, going to the doctor was a luxury, okay? If I had had my diabetes diagnosed 20 years earlier, I probably wouldn't be blind right now or have kidney disease or have, have my foot amputated. So these type of issues affect our lifespan. I'm 51. I'm not going to live to be 80 years old. I know that already. You what? know, people don't understand that diabetes greatly increases your chances of heart attack, stroke, cancer. It's a long list of illnesses, and 30 million Americans have diabetes. You know, D- that's one of the drivers of this.
1: David, yeah, uh, I, 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 see, I think you all the points you raise are uh, very apt and, and right on the money. What would you do about it? Let's say we made you dictator for a day and you can do one thing or a hundred things to turn. This is your one job. You're tasked with turning around American life expectancy. What do you do?
7: You become a lot like Denmark. And I know people hate the word socialism, but Denmark is a capitalist country. But they use a socialized system where they take care of their people. Education is free. College education is free. The, the child care is free. All that stuff is either, either free or heavily subsidized. Think about it this way, Frank, in your own life. How much money of your income goes to child care for one oh, child? Uh, a significant wouldn't you amount. Rather be able, wouldn't you rather use that money for something else to make you and your wife happier, your child happier? But this money goes into child care. I'm, I was shocked when I found out how much child care costs in New York City. I don't know how people can afford it, and and this is causing a lot – like the caller said about stress. It causes stress. Like I said, this is multifactorial, and what makes me sad is that I don't think we, we have the wherewithal or the integrity or the guts to solve all these issues. And that's the sad part, David. Uh, thank you.
1: you. I want to try and we got Dom Crispino, uh, ex attorney and ex felon waiting in the wings. But I want to try and get in at least a couple more phone calls on this subject. And again, those of you that we don't get to, we'll get to you after the interview. We only have one guest today, so there's plenty of opportunity for us to chat. Um, I think this is so important. And look, I, I view this show as primarily an entertainment show, but I try to tackle one or two big issues per show that are really significant and that I hope people think about. And this is the one that I hope people think about, because we're spending a lot of money in order to die faster than the rest of the world. And something just doesn't add up about that. And we need to fix it. 800 848 Patrice in Brooklyn has been waiting patiently. Hello, Patrice.
8: Oh, Frank, thanks a lot, and happy holidays. Likewise. Uh, I think um I think uh, Christians, Jews and Muslims are all having their holidays all this this month and for the next thirty days but happy holidays. Uh to answer your question, I think um because of uh undisciplined freedom or being undisciplined, uh I remember um uh, Frankie, I went to Howard University. Uh our vice president of the United States, she also went to Howard University's law school, I think. But the point is, um and, and, and I know a lot of, um, but I think undisciplined uh, freedom is, uh, is is why some lifespans have gone down. But I think ours, as Americans, have gone up because I think uh, families are more aware and um, families are being more careful uh, about you know w- what we ingest because we have to over time.
1: Uh, Patrice, thank you. I want to get in at least one more call here, and then uh, we'll get to Dom Crispino And those of you that are holding, we'll get to you if you want to hold. Linda is on Long Island. Hello, Linda.
9: Hi. um, I just want to mention, you know, talk about my own situation. I'm a cancer survivor for 20 years. I had excellent doctors, really wonderful. Um, They saved me. And it's been 20 years. Everything's been fine. Something happened. I wasn't sure what was wrong, not cancer. And um, I, you know, went to the doctor. I had blood tests. And one of the tests came up positive. So, I mean, I didn't know what it was. I never heard of it before. And they don't know. So they sent me to the specialist. Then he said he didn't know to test. He he couldn't figure it out, and he sent me to another doctor, specialist, different kind, and then and I went to another one. This is from December to now. They still don't know what's wrong with me, but I have a positive test, and I said, what it, you know, what's the basis of the test? And uh, I didn't even know. There were 150 different kinds of autoimmune diseases, mm. and they don't know. I mean, these are doctors today. So, oh, what kind of doctors? They can't figure that out. Well, if first of all,
1: we, we wish you the best yeah. of luck in terms of your own health care situation. And please keep Thank us posted you. on that. I'm sorry you're going through all that. What do all you that. think
9: of that? I, I, yes. Well,
1: first of all, I think it's very frustrating. But so are what you're saying, Linda, is that you think maybe the quality of medical care and the quality of doctors that people are seeing in this country today has gone down?
9: Yes, I do. Interesting. And, and, they don't, and they don't take the time to really – I mean, like you said, the system, it is really – I mean, I mean, years. this was 20 years ago. And I mean, it was wonderful. I mean, they, they took the time, they went out of their way, they talked, you know, they were really under, unbelievable. I mean, I, I mean, I, I should have been really worried. I mean, I was when I first was diagnosed, but I wasn't because I had really, you know, they were great doctors. And before that years ago, I remember my own parents, I mean, they had good doctors. I mean, they knew how to handle patients, you know. I they the basic medical, but they also knew how to you know calm a person down. And part of it is stress.
1: Yeah, that's a good good Disease point, Linda. Is. Linda, I have to run. Um, good luck. Keep keep me posted on everything you're going through. But I think that's a fair point. And you know, my father—I don't want to out him here—but he was in the health insurance industry for thirty or forty years, and that was one of his contentions: is that doctors just are not as good today. All right, we'll get into it with uh, Dom Crispino in just a bit. Uh, Donald Trump is going to be arraigned today. No cameras in the courtroom. Uh, I take back all the nice things I said I heard about this judge. I think he's just as much of a bum as everybody else does now. He should allow those cameras. Uh, we'll get into it with Dom Crispino, ex-lawyer, ex-felon, straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano.
10: Games, changes, and fears. When will they go from here? When will they stop? I believe that fate has brought us here. We should be together, man, but we May seem right and smile when you leave but my this is just Macy outfit.
1: gray I try I'm trying that's all I can do all any of us I can, can do am I right well today's a big day uh, Donald Trump has become the first former president in the history of the united states of america to be criminally indicted we'll know more in a little while about what the exact nature of the charges is but this grand jury has been leaking like a sieve and it's being reported that uh there that he's going to be charged with 34 felony counts now uh, here to break this down for us, we have a fascinating individual that knows what every aspect of the courtroom is like and every aspect of a jail cell is like. Don Crispino had a very, very prominent legal career. He was a graduate of Georgetown Law School and was doing really well in New York City as an attorney. And all the while, he also had a career as an activist, ran uh, for state assembly as a Republican about 30 years ago, did very well and uh, really got a charge out of running for state assembly and representing Republicans in Manhattan and said, you know what? I'm actually going to run for Manhattan district attorney. And you know what the Manhattan district attorney at the time did? They said, oh, well, we're going to indict you and indict them. They did. And to prison he went, uh, came out of prison, served some time in what some people say is even, tougher than prison he was a radio talk show host then uh, did a couple of other interesting things went back to prison and now he's out and he's able to provide some legal analysis as he does uh, so often very very pleased to welcome dom crispino ex-attorney and ex-felon hello there dom good morning hey frank how you doing Uh, I'm doing okay. I think I'm doing better than uh, than uh, somebody that uh, that is about to be arraigned in uh, in Manhattan court today. And that's uh, that's Donald Trump. I want to get your take on what we know about the uh, the Trump case. But there's two aspects of the uh, before we get to the case itself, two aspects of sort of the behind the scenes that I want you to uh, to comment on. Yesterday, uh, we learned that the Trump team had hired a, a new attorney, a uh, Todd Blanche, former federal prosecutor, considered a, a white-collar criminal defense attorney par excellence. Now, the attorney that has been all over the place, on TV, on radio, all over the place, advocating for Trump on the airwaves, has been Joe Tacopina. And I think he's done a very good job making a compelling case why these charges are bogus. If Todd Blanche is the guy that does the arraignment today, and if he's the guy uh, front and center, he's going to be known as essentially the main Trump attorney in this case. Is that, and as someone that's been an attorney and a criminal defendant yourself, is that a little bit of a slap in the face to Joe Tacapina?
11: Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that. I mean, it was news to me. I mean, Joe is, uh is A1, you know? Uh, and especially with uh, with the the, uh, the demographics of, uh, of the state system and the kind of juries you'd get in the Manhattan or in other counties. I mean, it may not be in Manhattan, and we'll talk about that later. Um, yeah, that's a, it's a puzzler. I mean, uh, it just yeah, I mean he he left cadwallader Wickersham and Taft. I mean to, he resigned his partnership to take this. So everybody, everybody, he's not doing this to be second chair. That's for sure. You're going to be running the show. Um, I think it could be they're afraid that Tacopina might have a conflict of interest. I see. Um, okay. Well I uh
1: I, I have to think though, that even if President Trump wanted to make a change you could have let Tacopina at least handle the arraignment. I mean, tomorrow. I mean, as I understand it, the arraignment is almost pro forma. I've seen a lot of arraignments; it almost is like reading from a script. I mean, I could do it. Why not let Tacopina at least handle that? He's been such a warrior on the airwaves. And then, if you wanted to make a change and make this guy Todd Blanche, the lead guy, then have him handle the trial uh, if it gets to that point.
12: Well, the only the
11: only thing I could think of is that. Uh, knowing the uh, the 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 beast we're dealing with, um, and, and I mean that in the, mo- the most lovable way, um, uh, Donald Trump is kind of impulsive, and I I think he probably feels, hey, if I'm going to hire the guy, he should be in from day one.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the only well,
11: thought I have, because otherwise I can't I can't make sense of that.
1: We'll see uh, where where it goes. Now, uh, the judge in this case, it was up to him and his discretion whether he was going to allow uh, video cameras in the courtroom today for the arraignment he has decided not to uh, i'm hoping he'll have a, a change of heart for the uh, for the the trial itself but if it goes to trial we'll see but um I, what what's your view on the issue of cameras in the courtroom dom
11: oh we need them we need them i think it's, a, it's it serves as a check uh, against stuff that goes on in the in the in the courtrooms, and still go and stuff that still goes on in New York, uh, would definitely for transparency. I think we need that. Um, as in this particular case, he probably thinks that you know he can avoid a circus at this point, you know. And but it's already a circus.
1: I mean, how many other criminal cases in Manhattan? How many other arraignments have massive protests on both sides of it outside? It's already a circus.
11: Yeah, and they're closing floors in the courthouse. They're. Uh, That's it's uh, that's it's unprecedented.
1: Right. I'd just be curious to know what circus like atmosphere is being avoided by not having the cameras in the courtroom today. It makes no sense to me Uh, talking with Dom Crispino. All right. um, Let's talk about the charges. Obviously, we'll know more a little bit later today when these charges are officially unsealed. But based on what's being reported, uh, Dom, uh, what are what's your take on uh, what we're looking at here?
11: All right. Well, it seems to be a fairly cut and dried uh, falsifying business records case. Now, the, the thing is, they're, they're, everybody's making a big deal about there being 30 counts. I mean, that's what they do in Manhattan. Each each check will be a count, yeah, and, and, and there will be different versions of it. They'll charge a misdemeanor and a felony at the same time for the same thing. So you have to really break that down. I mean, for example, one of my three indictments in Manhattan in the late 90s had 84 counts. But it was a, tra- it was, it was a business transaction that, that had maybe like 10 people, 12 people in it. I see. It's just that they'll charge you for the larceny. They'll charge you for the criminal possession of, the, of stolen property, which is the money from the larceny. They'll charge you for the instrument you filed in order to get the larceny and the stolen property. You know, it's like, it's like you know, it's just like multiplication. It's like rabbits, you know. So, uh one of the things that
1: I was curious about, and I raised this with our legal panel on on Friday, and people had varying views, is how they get around this statute of limitations issue. If the checks were written uh, back in two thousand and seventeen w- how do they get around the five year felony statute of limitations on this
12: Well,
11: yes, and also the two year uh, statute of limitations on the misdemeanors um, well they 're hanging their hat on a, a provision of the law. That when a defendant leaves the jurisdiction, the statute's told, uh, and by told means it's suspended for that time, Um, it's not entirely clear. Anybody giving an opinion on this? We really are in uncharted territory here. There are some cases, but those are usually cases where a defendant has absented himself and gone on the run. Uh, It's not a case where we knew where the defendant was all the time or still had a residence in the state, even if he wasn't a resident of New York State. Trump declared he was a Florida resident at a certain point, so they're hanging their hat on that. I don't know if that really works. The problem is for Donald Trump, if that's the only thing he has going for him, is the judge will rule against him.
1: Me- uh, wait, meaning, if the statute of limitations is the only thing he has going for him, the judge will rule right. against him.
11: Right. Well, he's got a lot more than that, but I'm just saying, if that's the only thing he had, the judge will rule against him and let the appellate court I sort see. it out if he's convicted. I see. Uh, basically- judge Marchand is not making law on this.
1: Now, uh, Judge Merchan, uh, based on what I've heard from lawyers that have appeared before him and other criminal court judges in Manhattan, seems to have a a pretty pretty good reputation uh, in terms of calling balls and strikes, not really considered uh, an avowed partisan uh, one way or another. What do you think the judge will do? I'm sure that there will be a motion to dismiss uh, not only in the statute of limitations issue, but on a bunch of other issues. How do you think the judge rules on
11: that? No, he'll, he's going to deny those motions. I already know. Even if – I mean, I've heard I've heard the arguments that Joe Tacopina made, other attorneys have made. I've read a bunch of articles, from even some scholars. Um, I know this statute very well because I was charged under this statute, and I read every case. Which statute, I was away. Which statute? The, the, uh, for, falsifying business records. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the first degree, which is the felony, uh, and second degree, which is the misdemeanor, and the upgrade between the misdemeanor well, the, the, the basic thing is you're, you're either entering uh, entering records, altering records, or making records with an intent of defraud. That's the misdemeanor. And it graduates to a felony if you also are doing it in furtherance of, a, of another crime or to conceal another crime. So it's two parts. So everybody's making a big deal about this intent of defraud. The, the intent of defraud in the case law in New York is so broadly construed that uh there's only like two cases where it's gone the other way, and the, arguably those cases were really like unique, um, and they don't seem to be the kind of situation that Trump is in. So um, I can't see that the uh, the base offense, the misdemeanor getting thrown out, you know, aside from statute limitations. Um, and then there's the part of concealing and furtherance of another, concealing or furthering another crime. That's the thing where they're talking about the campaign finance stuff. And it's an open question as to whether or not using a federal act, a federal crime, uh, fits the statute. Arguably, it does. I don't think Merchan will make new law on that. He would leave it to the appellate division to deal with that. So I think the chances of this case being tossed out, if they aren't zero, they're very close to zero.
1: Interesting. Okay. Um, All right. You alluded to the change of venue possibility. Alan Dershowitz and others – Mostly Trump supporters uh, have claimed that uh, not that Dershowitz is a Trump supporter, but most of the people that have said that the venue should be changed out of Manhattan because uh, Trump got only twelve percent of the vote there. Most of those folks, you know, tend to be Trump supporters and have said it would be right. better if there were a, a venue like Staten Island, which was yeah. a little bit more a little bit more even in terms of the possible makeup of the jury. Uh, Trump won yeah. Staten Island, but he didn't win it overwhelmingly. Lee got about 57 percent of the vote. So chances are a jury coming from Staten Island would have a good mix of Trump supporters and non-Trump supporters. Do, do you see the defense making that motion here? And how do you see the judge ruling on that?
11: It would be malpractice for the defense not to make that motion. Mm-hmm. And the, they, Dershowitz and, and everybody else is talking about this is right, but they're right for the wrong reason. It's not Trump getting votes. It's whether or not Trump can get a fair trial. That's the issue. And there's a controlling case in the first department of the appellate division, which is the court, the appellate court over Manhattan. So that's the controlling precedent. Uh, the name of the case is People versus Boss. Kenneth Boss was one of the uh, the, the four cops who shot Amadou Diallo uh, 41 times in the Bronx, the famous case. And they, they made a motion to change venue from the Bronx, uh, saying that. Uh, they took a poll, and it shows that they could not get a fair trial. People believed they're guilty already. they made certain assumptions about certain issues, which are key issues in the trial, and they had polling questions on that. And despite the fact they were even beyond the 40, 45 day limit to make the motion, they the the appellate division granted it and moved it to Albany. It moved it from uh, it wouldn't move it to an interim county like Westchester. It wanted. It said this is an urban case; it should be moved to an urban county. So the choice was Syracuse, Rochester, or Albany. And they chose Albany. That precedent controls here. So the what the attorneys have to do here is they have to do some polling, not just saying you know they, we lost the election, only got twelve percent, but that that doesn't tell you anything. I mean, people can vote for all sorts of different
1: reasons. Sure, and still be fair in
11: theory. That's correct. And there's a big uh, there's a big swath of the population that doesn't vote. If you look at Registered voters, especially in places like Manhattan. Sure. Um, so, what you have to do is you have to you have to prove your case. Now, they they require you to do it within 45 days. But so what you do is you, you get the you get the you get the fox you got the polling that already exists and make the motion, and you do further polling. So, what can happen is the judge at that point, what well, you you can try you can you can ask the judge to do it himself. But he may defer that to jury selection and try to question jurors to bring out whether or not they're biased or not. But what they did in the boss case was they went to the appellate division after trying a couple of times with the judge. And the appellate division on their own – well, not on their own, pursuant to the motion, agreed with them. Uh, I, I think there's no way Trump gets a fair trial in Manhattan. Uh, and he could, he can't get a fair trial in the city, except that Staten Island probably would be a good choice. My guess is, if you're going to change venue, it would be Staten Island. Same city, or er, you know, it's still urban, even though Staten Island's not as urban as Manhattan, for example. Um, but you know, I can't see him moving it to Albany or you know any place like that. So if it's going to happen, I would place my money on Staten Island, and I think it should happen because. Who, who's gonna who's gonna acquit Trump in this case? You know, in Manhattan, it's not gonna happen. Well, um, and so uh,
1: we'll see where the, this goes. And uh, you got to come back and help us chronicle this. Uh, two final questions, though, uh, Dom. One, we know that there are uh, three or four other potential criminal investigations here: the documents case, the Georgia case, something maybe related to January sixth. If you're the other prosecutors considering bringing charges here, most analysts have said this is the weakest of the four possible cases that Trump could be facing. If you're the other prosecutors, are you happy with what Bragg is doing? Are you happy that someone else is going first and can bear the slings and arrows and uh, the Marjorie Taylor Greene protests? Or are you upset that the first bite at the apple is going to someone that a lot of people perceive as having the weakest case?
11: (laughs) Hey, that cuts two ways, and you just laid out exactly well, how it cuts. I mean, if you look at it, I mean, if I'm if I'm the uh, the, the special counsel looking at the documents case, uh, or at the uh, what's going on with the uh, the alleged insurrection of January 6th, I mean, I'm sure he would have loved to have been first. But you're right. I mean, Bra- Bragg's case, you know, they they call it the weakest, but you know, I got to tell you, uh, I, I I had some cases of my own. I thought that I could win, and you, you just don't know. You don't know what happens when you put it in front of like twelve strangers, um, especially in Manhattan. So I mean, they 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 could get the conviction, but I, I just I, you know it's it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I mean, Bragg is first, but Bragg may not be first. If you know what I mean.
1: Interesting. All right, I'm Crispino. Appreciate it very much. Let's talk again soon. And uh, glad you're doing well.
11: Stay out of prison, so we can keep using you on the radio. You got you got ten seconds. Yeah, please. All right. I'm going to be uh, leading the Rikers debate team at uh, Johns Hopkins on, uh, on, uh, on the 13th of this month, debating, uh, medical issue, gain of function, research on viruses. So I'll let you know that. And, uh, I've been advocating for a guy named Ron Plaza in the Bronx, who's, uh, who, uh they withheld evidence on, and the case is going to be reversed and I'm, I'm advocating for him not to get retried. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm out there, Frank.
1: All right, so if people want to see that uh, Rikers uh, debate situation. How can they do that?
11: Uh, they have to get to uh, Johns Hopkins. Uh, oh, Johns uh, Hopkins. Or they can contact you. I'm not on social media right now because I'm still on parole.
1: Yeah, you're smarter Once than the I'm rest of parole, us, believe me.
11: I will emerge from the water like Godzilla. <laughs> All right, Tom. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Frank. Right. Thank Eight, you.
1: 800 If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, this is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
0: The Other side of midnight. 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 side of midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Murano.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno on Twitter, at Frank, M O R A N O. And I'm still verified. I don't know why. I'm not paying for anything on there, and I will not pay. I'm standing with William Shatner, who's also still verified. They took away the New York Times blue check mark, but Shatner and me are still verified. I, I like this Elon Musk fellow more and more. So yes, I will not pay. And let me see here. And yes, still verified, still verified. Uh, got that blue check mark as a legacy blue checker at Frank Morano. You can see for yourself, Frank M O R A N O, Frank M O R A N O. All right, eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. We're gonna go through the mail next hour. We have some other fun stuff to get to. Um, those of you that are holy, I don't want to give you 20 seconds to uh, to comment. So uh, just hang on. We'll get to you after the top of the hour. No more guests today. So we're going to have plenty of time to talk about whatever's on your mind, anything we've covered today, or uh, anything you'd like to see me do, do more of. And uh, whatever you have, whatever's on your mind, we will get to it. Meantime, you can also find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash fan. That's facebook.com slash M O R A N O fan. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Make sure you get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.
0: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
1: When I was watching my son on Friday afternoon, I, for some reason, I got into a habit. He was eating, and he doesn't like when we feed him anymore, right? So he doesn't like, even though he doesn't have the best dexterity with a fork or a spork or whatever, he prefers all the food on his tray in front of him, and then he likes it chopped up, and he wants to grab it himself. So I'll I'll put a piece of say macaroni and cheese on a fork and I'll and I'll offer it to him and he turns his head away. He won't he won't take it. But then I'll put the same strand of macaroni on his tray in front of him and I uh, will cut it up for him and he'll grab it himself and eat it. He just wants to do it himself. He's very independent in that regard and that's great. That's great. I mean it's a little messy, not only for him but for everybody else around him. So a lot of times when he's having lunch, as was the case on Friday, I'll be just sitting next to him at our kitchen table. And, you know, we try not to have the television on much during the day, but I'll be sitting next to him and I'll have maybe my mobile phone or my computer with me. And on Friday, I just basically am monitoring because we haven't gotten him out of the habit of this yet, that when he's done, he should just be done he shouldn't throw all of the food that he no longer wants on the floor. He thinks that's what you're supposed to do. Is when you're done eating, just throw it on the floor. And uh, I say no. And he laughs. He laughs. He thinks uh he, he thinks it's funny. He thinks it's a game. That we have to remove the tray before he starts throwing it. So basically I'm sitting there waiting for him to stop eating and start throwing. So one of the things that I've always been fascinated by is presidential um recordings of the the conversations that presidents have with one another. So one of the things I did on Friday is, I don't know, I played some of them on the radio. I don't know what caused me to go down this rabbit hole, but I ended up, and then I continued later in the day after he went to bed, I ended up going on the YouTube and just listening to all these presidential conversations. Um, Reagan talking with Nixon. Lyndon Johnson talking uh, with somebody trying to sell him pants or him trying to order pants, which is one of the funniest conversations ever. Uh, John F. Kennedy talking to Dwight Eisenhower. There are all these great presidential conversations, not just the Watergate tapes either. A lot of those Nixon tapes have been made public. There's some great Johnson tapes. So I thought it might be fun. I don't know if anyone other than me is interested in this. But I thought it might be fun tomorrow to go through some of these presidential recordings. I've curated five or six of my favorites, and initially I thought maybe we'd play um one a day and uh and see you know and see if people like it. but I think maybe I don't know maybe we should play the the, the whole you know the whole kitten caboodle of some of my favorites. Tomorrow, And a lot of these conversations don't necessarily portray um, the presidents in them in the best light. So um, I think that uh, you, you got to be prepared to, you know, kind of roll with the punches here. And that even some of these might be presidents that you like, but they sound kind of silly at times, sometimes worse than silly. All right, 800-848-9222. Let me know if you're interested in that. Email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.m-o-r-a-n-o at wabcradio.com. I, um, we also have our biweekly conversation or semi-monthly conversation with uh, Dr. Sky tomorrow, which I'm looking forward to as well. A bunch of people are holding. I am going to get to you uh, in a moment. 800 848 22 All right, let me just play one um, presidential recording if I can. Now, this I played on the radio, but I'm guessing most of you haven't heard this. I played this when I was on just on one tiny New York radio station 10 or 11 years ago on uh, early Monday mornings. And this is from, I believe, 1964, 1965. And it's Lyndon Johnson trying to order pants. And I think this is the funniest thing that I've heard maybe ever. Listen
13: to this.
14: Hello? Hello. Uh, Mr. Hager? Yes, this is Joe Hager. Uh, Joe, uh, is your father the one that uh, makes uh, clothes? Yes, sir. We're all together. You all made me some real lightweight slacks. uh. Uh, that he just made up on his own, sent to me three or four months ago. It's a kind of a light brown and a light green, rather soft green and soft brown. Yes, now, I need about six pairs for summer wear. Yes, I need about six pairs to uh, wear around in the evening when I come in from work. Yes, and. I can send you a pair. I want them a half inch larger in the waist than they were before, except I want two or three inches of stuff left back in there so I can take them up. I vary 10 to 15 pounds a month. So uh, leave me at least pounds, two and a half, three inches in the back where I can let them out or take them up and put make these a half inch bigger in the waist. Make the pockets at least an inch longer. Money, my money and my knife and everything fall out. Wait a minute. His money and his knife. Hello. Hello. Now, a lot of them This is to president. down where your nuts hang is always a little too tight. So when you make them up, give me an inch that I can let out there uh, because they cut me. It's just like riding a, a wire fence. These are almost, these are the best that I've had anywhere in the United States. But uh, uh, when I gain a little weight, they cut me under there. So leave me, uh, you never do have much margin there let see if you can't leave me about an inch from the, where the zipper ends uh, around under uh That was not my, a sound effect. ...back to my bunghole. All right, then. So I can let it out there if I need to. Right. Now, be sure you got the best zippers in them. These are good that I have. And uh, if you get those to me, I would sure be grateful. All right. Where would you like to stand, please? White House. All right. I just sure will appreciate this. I need it more than anything, and... Uh, uh, now you give this boy the address, cause I'm running for a funeral, and give him the address just how to dress these trousers. So we'll send them to you. And don't you, you get the measurements out of them and add a half an inch to the back, give us an inch to the pockets, and about an uh, inch underneath uh, so we can let them out. Now, would you like just a little more stride in the crotch? Yeah, that's right. Yes, sir. Okay, here he is. Glad okay, go ahead, please.
1: Now, um, I find that just extraordinary. I I don't know what about it I find the most extraordinary. So initially just the fact that he just burps right in the middle of the phone call without saying excuse me or pardon me, okay? The fact that the guy that he's ordering pants from just sits there and listens to him burp and doesn't react at all. He just uh, doesn't say anything. I mean, what are you going to say? It's the president's perfect. The fact that the president is talking about what he's carrying around in his pockets, and he's talking about how he—now, I carry a knife, but I'm not the president. Why is the president carrying around money and a knife in his pockets on a daily basis? Then, the fact that he varies—now, I I go up and down in terms of weight as well, but— the fact that he varies 15 to 18 pounds every month i mean what is going on with lbj you could see why he died ultimately of a heart attack
8: um
1: and then uh the way that he refers to his genitalia talking to a total stranger and then the fact that right before he's leaving for a funeral he's focused on this this pants ordering the way that he'd be focused on affairs of state. I mean, I'm amazed by every aspect of it. But there's so many great phone calls. LBJ, uh, love him or hate him, if you've ever read any of Robert Caro's books on him, you can tell he is one of the great characters in American history. And not, not necessarily a positive person, but one of the great characters ever. I mean, he was a force of nature, and he is someone that understood how to wield power inside Washington better than anybody, maybe until Dick Cheney. Um, But, uh, you know, Nixon, when Nixon was president, and there's some good Nixon and Johnson conversations as well. Uh, And so I just went down this rabbit hole of listening to all these presidential conversations, and they're just so fascinating to me. My favorites are the the conversations that presidents have with one another. But when Nixon was president, by the way, Nixon is the only recent president and I think maybe the only president since, I don't know, maybe ever, uh, maybe since George Washington or at least uh, John Adams. I have to go back. Don't quote me on this. We have to double check. Nixon is the only president to serve as president while there were no living presidents. And when Lyndon Johnson died in uh, 1973 Nixon was the only living president and I don't know of any other president in history at least going back to the 1800s that can say that and it's really something and uh, I've always felt that ex presidents and you'll see in some of these tapes that we play you tomorrow or in the coming days you'll see that um what a resource ex-presidents can be and I've always I always said that during the Trump administration that what that was one of the mistakes that he made is alienating all of the other ex-presidents rather than use them as a resource you know Mark Halperin in his wide world of news newsletter yesterday had a wonderful column about the similarities between Donald Trump and Bill Clinton not necessarily about their politics not necessarily about their personal scandals but about their style and their presence, and and their personality. And I thought it was very apt. And especially since Trump was always friends with Clinton before he became president, I wish he would have done more of that. But what I was going to say about Nixon and Johnson, Nixon was so obsessed with Lyndon Johnson. And Nixon knew that Johnson knew the levers of power in Washington better than anybody. So Nixon actually had a special phone line installed. This is documented. This is not me making this up. Special phone line installed that former President Johnson could get in touch with Nixon any that he wanted, day or night. And he assigned a staffer whose job it was to do nothing but handle Lyndon Johnson. If Johnson wanted to reach Nixon, this person would facilitate it. If Johnson needed something, whatever it was, Uh, This person would get it for him because Nixon was that one, respectful and two, I think, fearful of the kind of person that uh, that Johnson was in my rabbit hole of presidential tapes. One of the ones that I found was Pat Buchanan, who obviously was a very close friend of Nixon and a former aide of Nixon's interviewing Nixon on CNN. And they were still rolling. The camera was still rolling while the while the um while the show wasn't on and you know pap Buchanan does with Nixon the same thing that um that he does with everybody else you know pap Buchanan's a very well read guy, so he ends up talking about books and Nixon was a very well read guy, so he ends up asking Nixon about this book about Robert Kennedy and this book about l b j and in this interview, and I think it's from the, the mid-80s, in this interview off air, J- Nixon is on tape saying uh, it makes Johnson, meaning this book, it makes Johnson, it was 1982, looks like a blank damn animal. Of course he was. That's what he says, and then he laughs about it. So maybe we'll play you some of those uh, tomorrow. 800 Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me say hello to Eddie on Staten Island. Hello, Eddie.
15: Uh, hi, Frank. Long time to speak to you. I was listening to your conversation on why Americans' health is so bad. I'm in the food industry, as you know. We spoke about that a, a right, while ago. I remember. And the main culprit is diet and inactivity. The diet comes from the processed foods that are contained throughout um, the processing. For example, um, the fructose that you mentioned is not real sugar, the colon doesn't recognize it, and it becomes a problem for the body. The other one is called multidextrin. Everybody listening to my voice, get anything that you bought that's processed, you're gonna see multidextrin in there. Problem with multidextrin, it affects the DNA in the body makes it vibrate so the best thing that you can do is buy organic food buy foods that have very little additives in it um, when it comes to fish don't buy farm-raised fish buy wild-caught fish I said the same for scallops and the same for shrimps as the, um, the important part of that is that it changes the body now why am I saying this because I went through heart disease, lung disease, high blood pressure, and all at the time when my wife died seven years oh, ago.
1: Oh boy, I'm sorry about that.
15: Yeah, and I I made it my business to lose over a hundred pounds. Wow, good for you. Learn learn about cancer, um, how it comes to us, and it's fascinating what I've learned over the years. Do you, do you know the if you if you have a zero um ph balance in your colon of acidity and alkalinity is very difficult for cancer to live in the body because the mitochondria or the makeup of a cancer cell is glucose or sugar so if you exercise oxygenate keep a balanced ph most likely you'll remain healthy and i want to clear up one thing that sweeping the country right now with the lemon water It's a good, yes, it does work, but they're not telling you how to prepare it correctly.
1: Lemon water, you said.
15: Right, lemon water. And remember, it's all without sugar. Sugar is the main culprit in a lot of the health issues that we have. This is the way to prepare it. And everybody listen because it works. You take three lemons, you boil them for three minutes in a pot, take them out, cut the ends off, quarter the lemons, Put it in a 32 ounce glass bottle. Add fresh water. Um, shake it, leave it in the refrigerator overnight. What happens? The nitric nitric oxide and the lemon peel leaches into the water. When you drink it in the morning, it gets into your your vein system, your your veins and arteries. Why is this important? Remember, I had heart disease. My doctor here on Staten Island wanted to put stents in my heart. I told him, let me try to lose the weight and find another way. He, he agreed. I lost the weight, and then when I found the lemon water, which I heard about years ago, guess what it did? It started clearing up the grooves in the veins. Wow. You see, as, as you get older, not only do you wrinkle on the outside, you wrinkle on the inside, mainly your veins and arteries. And if you eat a lot of sugar, those, that sugar get, or the glucose gets into the veins causing the the veins and arteries to get hard. Now yeah. I had three stents they were gonna put into me. I, I did so much exercising, stretching, eating right, and the lemon water, which was the last thing I added, along with something that you guys advertise now, balance of nature. Yeah I take balance that.
1: of nature. I like it.
15: Yeah. yeah. I've been on it for seven years. And what a change in my life. And I'm telling you, the lemon water does work because it fill it takes the play it fills in the grooves. And when the the glucose comes through, it bypasses the sugar. And the next thing you know, you start unclogging yourself. The lemon water is a sort of anti-inflammatory. As you get older, remember this, inflammation is your biggest enemy. And another little secret, which I give to a lot of my elderly customers in the store, because they want to know why I look like 40 and I'm 66. uh, And this is Dr. Gundry, who's been discussing this for the longest time extra virgin olive oil the secret of the greeks the italians and um everybody from that area the, the reason is that extra virgin olive oil has uh, polyphenols, which enables the heart to work with less stress and lowers the blood pressure in the same way um, the way i cleaned my livers and my, my liver and my kidneys was simple eat beets and drink beet juice, but make sure it's organic.
1: Eddie, that what is uh, that is all good advice. I have to run. I want to get to some other people, but I appreciate that. I'm sorry about your wife, but I'm glad you're doing well, and I'm glad that was a, a wake up call for uh, for you and your health. One, I can't speak to any of the nutritional or or advice that um, that Eddie just gave, but there's one aspect of what he said that I want to uh, reiterate and marry myself to, and that is the dangers of sugar. And especially the things that they call sugar now, like high fructose, corn syrup, et cetera, Um, there's a lot of different diets out there, right? And most of them, if you stick with them, most of them work, right? But whatever diet you're talking about, um, low-carb, keto, and the various other names for the low-carb diets, Atkins sometimes, sometimes it's called paleo. It's all basically the same thing. That's one or the strict vegetarian, or the Mediterranean diet. Whatever diet that people swear by, whatever it is. And a lot of times there's all sorts of conflicting stuff on that. Uh, a low-carb person, they, they turn their nose up at a diet that's heavy in whole grains and wheat and things like that, and rice. Um, they don't want to know it. Meanwhile, you take a, a vegetarian and you say, oh, no, 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 you got to eat grilled chicken and lean beef. And uh, and fish. Oh, they don't want to know that. You take a pescatarian and you say, oh no, 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 you gotta eat uh, you know, uh broiled turkey and that kind of thing. They don't want to know that. The one thing that all of these diet plans really have in common that are recommended by anybody, Mediterranean, vegetarian, low-carb, whatever, the one thing universally that they all seem to agree on is the dangers of sugar. They all say any kind of diet worth its salt, say, stay away from sugar, except if it's naturally derived sugar from fruit or something along those lines. And fruit does have sugar. Lemon, believe it or not, actually has more sugar than an orange. That's a true story. That's a true story. 800 That's uh, 800-848-9222. Um, you know, Sharon uh, on Twitter saying... And we're going to go through your mail in a minute. So you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. How in the world did you get that LBJ audio? Never heard anything like it. Yeah, I've played it before. And I'm telling you, there are some other great presidential recordings. Some of them are funny. Some of them are sad, quite frankly. Some of them are um, embarrassing. Some are very dramatic. I mean, you listening listening to... Johnson and Nixon talk about how to handle the Vietnam War and the forthcoming peace talks, even though it was 50 years ago, more than 50 years ago, it's still so dramatic. You feel like they could be talking about uh, affairs of state or the geopolitical scene today. It's really interesting. So if you thought that was good, Sharon, wait till you see what we have uh, tomorrow. We got some good stuff uh, tomorrow that we're going to that we're going to find. Uh, I, 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 was gonna, I was thinking about having all of them today, but um, Alex is actually out sick today. Um, and big thank you to Broadway Bill Lee for filling in for him and to uh, Kenneth for doing a little extra work. Uh, another sick day for Alex here. Apparently. He didn't look sick this morning or <laughs> yesterday morning when I, I left. I don't know. What's I, his deal? I have no
16: idea. Yeah. Did he mention anything to you about being sick in that post uh show podcast that you guys do? Uh no, he did not. He did not mention anything, so I don't know.
1: I find that very suspicious. <laughs> uh and but I guess if he provides a doctor's note, who are we to question it, right? I guess. I don't Do you need to bring a doctor's note? I, I I don't even You know, I would have assumed so, but do you know how many sick days I've taken? How many? Zero. So I have no idea what you need. The last sick day that I took was 2005. Okay. And I had the flu, and I, and I couldn't move. Um, so I took two sick days, actually. Could not move. I think I'm had pneumonia also. I was sick back then. Um, that, was, that was the last time I took a sick day. And I read about these other jobs, and I'm not knocking it, right? Because this goes hand-in-hand in hand with the first subject we explored about, um, about why people are not living as long. And I do think one of the factors has to do with the fact that we're working ourselves to death. And so people should take off, especially if they're sick. I don't think anybody should come to work if they're sick. Uh, but the I read about these jobs, mostly state and county jobs, where if you don't take sick days, they pay you for the days. I have never in my life had a job that pays you
16: for the sick days. Could you imagine? These people rack up like three years worth of sick days so they retire. They get three years of extra pay. Uh, At my last job, I took zero sick days. I worked there for
1: 10 years. Did not take a single sick day. And I didn't get a check. I didn't get anything. I I mean, I would have liked, uh, I don't know, a certificate or something saying, thank you for not taking any sick days. But...
16: um, Do they ever tell you, like, use it or lose it, like the end of the year comes, and sometimes they'll say, all right, you got to take these days off. Otherwise, you won't be able to take them off next year because it doesn't carry over.
1: Um, You know, I don't know. I don't know. They probably did say that. But, uh, again, I've I've said before, I I like to work, you know. Um, And I wouldn't take a sick day unless I was, you know, really sick. So I'm not going to use – some people use the – I think that's what Alex kind of does, that he uses these sick days as personal days. That's why I'm, I want to see a doctor's note. You know, I'd be well, curious. Frank, the key for you is you don't look at this as a job. Right. You're exactly right. That's, exa- that's exactly right. Clearly, Alex does. He looks pained every time I see him. Um, 800-848. Doesn't he? He, he looks I, I, like he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. I can't disagree with that statement. Yeah. <laughs> he's a tad miserable looking,
17: at, just a tad.
15: No,
1: he looks so stressed out. Maybe that's why he's making himself sick all the time. He's stressed. It's just, he's stressed out. He worries himself so much. I don't know what he's so worried about. The show will go on. 800 um, 848 Let me say hello to, um, let's see, who's been holding a while here? Um, Richie in the Bronx. Hello, Richie.
6: Um, Good morning, Frank. Howdy. Um, Regarding the United States mortality statistics, I have a question. Mm -hmm. Do they include illegal aliens?
1: I believe, yes. I believe it's everyone that lives here.
6: Um, Well, that might be a reason For the poor results, because most a lot of the illegal aliens come from very poor countries and are very poor themselves and have not received good health care. You know that's
1: actually not a bad hypothesis, Richie. I will look further into that. Uh but uh I think that's interesting. Now even that, that's 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 not a bad not a bad thought actually. I will look into that. Uh I don't know if that's true or not, but I'll look into that. All right. Uh also holding a while is uh, Michael in his bedroom. Hello Michael. Michael uh, Michael doesn't have a funny snore like uh, like uh, Larry did yesterday. 800 Larry is on Long
13: Island. Hello, Larry. Hey, Frank. How you doing? Very good. Thank you. Okay. Uh, you know, I just wanted to let you know you asked if people would be interested in, like, that presidential uh, the phone calls. I think that's really great. So uh, I, I would definitely do it. I think people are going to be interested in it. But also, I mean, how far back? I mean, he had to have known that he was being recorded.
1: Not uh, only not only did he know that he was being recorded, but as I understand it, the way that the White House taping system works under Johnson is Johnson, unlike Nixon, where the recordings were automated, Johnson uh-huh. would actually flick a switch to start the recording. So I, I'm amazed. That's the other thing that I'm amazed by in listening to what we just heard. He actually flicked a switch to start the recording, I believe and then actually knew he was being recorded while burping and not saying excuse me.
13: So, I mean, you have to love that. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to put anyone down because I'm not because I love Texas, but, you know, I was around at that time. I mean, you know, this is a real Texas guy. I mean, I see him pulling up in a Cadillac with the horns on the front, and he just, he didn't care. I mean, that uh, that's fantastic.
18: Yeah. Uh, anyway,
13: th- yeah. Uh, wh- uh, when sorry, How far back? Did they start recording the presidents? Do you know that? The earliest – I
1: I believe the the earliest ones we have – there may be some FDR calls out there, uh, but the earliest ones that we have of of phone calls and things like that are, I believe, Truman. Now, there might have been some FDR calls recorded, but I haven't heard them yet. Uh, There's certainly Uh, nothing really funny from FDR uh, that's out there because I did a search. But the earliest ones that we have are Truman. All
13: right, great. I I don't want to hold you up. Uh, Great show, Frank. And uh, I'm looking I don't know if you're going to be able to tap the Johnson one, though. So let's see what happens.
1: Yeah. uh, Well, thank you. We got some good ones tomorrow. There's this one phone call with uh, Nixon and Reagan. And Reagan at the time was the governor of California, I believe. And in this phone call, Nixon, uh, Reagan is telling Nixon how he should pull the U.S. out of the U.N. And you just think to yourself, what if Nixon had listened to Reagan? In 1969 or 1970, whenever that call was, think of how different the last—it was 1971—how different the last 50 years of history would would have been had Nixon take taken that advice from Reagan. And then Reagan says, and this is very unusual because you know Reagan didn't have this kind of reputation. Reagan makes a blatantly racist comment to Nixon towards the end of the call. I'll play it for you tomorrow. But it's fascinating to go back and and listen to some of these uh, conversations. Yeah, to your point, Larry, one gentleman wrote me, LBJ was notorious for, and this is true, defecating in the toilet adjacent to the Oval Office with the door open while on the phone. You can take the man out of Texas, but you can't take the Texas out of the man. If you want to send me an SMS text message, you can do so. 8168Morano, 8168MORANO. Jimmy is in Brooklyn. Hello, Jimmy. Yes,
17: yeah, very interesting. All this health talk. I love it. A lady called Lou earlier, and she talked about having an autoimmune disease, and her doctors couldn't figure it out. You know, some people have all the facts, they just can't add them up. It's like an accountant who has all the numbers but can't add them. A detective knows how to look at things and, and judge and figure it out. Now, that woman, uh, she didn't say what test she had, but definitely, definitely, I'm not a doctor, but definitely she needs a test of allergies. Because, for instance, if you have celiac disease, your body attacks the, 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 uh, the gluten and sometimes as it's attacking the gluten in your body, in other words, your body sees it as something that doesn't belong there. Gluten is is in malt, it's in wheat, it's part of a protein. But so I knew of a little girl who was getting her ankle, she might've been seven years old, her ankle was getting really bad. I mean, really bad. They wanted to give her, I think, heavy, heavy steroids and everything. And one doctor says, let me check her for celiac. It turned out she was allergic to wheat. You know, She was allergic to the gluten, and they quit giving her gluten, and Interesting. she healed. Interesting. So that woman could have an allergy, but there's some allergy tests that are very scientific, very super fine. That's what she needs. She may be surprised. She may be allergic to three things. That's commonly in her diet or you know, maybe dust in the air or something. It's
1: interesting that you say that because I'm going to relate a a story involving my wife kind of in line with what you're describing. and Maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. But, Jimmy, I must say I have been – Listening to your calls uh, to talk radio for uh, 30 years and you you always call in various shows, going back to Bob Grant uh, talking about communists and a bunch of other things. Uh, but I think at least in this incarnation of my radio career, I think this is the first time you called me, Jimmy, and I always felt uh, a little bit uh, a little bit slighted that you call everybody else, but not me. Why is this the first time I'm hearing oh from my you, Jimmy?
9: God.
17: Well, I'll call more now. I thought usually this time of the night I'm not uh, able, but uh, I will call more now that I have that. Feel like uh, like I'm invited here. I want to give a little political thing, by the way. When I said how doctors or like an accountant who has all the facts and can add, or a doctor could have all the symptoms, but if it's not exactly in the book, he can't use his own knowledge. This is how it is in political national security and threat assessment. With all the evidence, every single thing going wrong that could go wrong, most of the conservative media celebrities still don't understand that this is an organized, well-thought-out, well-planned revolution going on. All right,
1: Jimmy. I, I got to run. I-, I wanted you to be able to mention revolution. But, yeah, everybody's invited to call in. There's no, no invitation necessary. 800 You're all invited. Uh, the mail.
0: Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano.
10: Frank Marano. Oh, poppin' I know, poppin' I know, one's chicken here's like a Kalinga show. Thought I ever gonna see my oh, poppin' I know, you yeah, ever gonna see so poppin' I smoke. Oh, poppin' I know, poppin' I know, one's chicken here's like a Kalinga
1: Hey, did you ever hear the song? Uh, I'm betting most of you don't, but you know who it's for? Hey, have you heard this song, Matt? You have. So, you, you know, this song is by the Rednecks. You know what song the Rednecks did? They were almost considered like a one-hit wonder. Uh, their song was, and you could kind of hear it in this portion of this song, their song that they're best known for, you know, if you've ever been to Yankee Stadium, was Cotton Eye Joe. This was a song they did as a follow-up to that that no one listens to. No one bought the record. I think they had a dance that went with this song, too, uh, Poppin' Old Oak, and no one listened to it. No one knows about it. But I think it's not a bad follow-up hit, but they're still considered a one-hit wonder.
16: It's catchy. Sounds exactly like
1: like Joe. It does. Maybe that's why people didn't like it. It's like... um, the sequel to Kung Fu Fighting. That, it's uh, that didn't go all that well. Alright. Without further ado, it is time for
13: Letters.
1: Let me begin with the snail mail. If you ever want to send me snail mail, please send it over to P.O. Box seventeen seventy seven. My attention, Frank Morano, New York, New York one zero one six three. Again, that's P.O. Box seventeen seventy seven, New York, New York one zero one six three. This is from Paul in Maryland. Probably a great listener on W. CBM. There's a bunch of cool stuff in here. We'll go over what it is, but let me uh, find the letter that seems to be, hopefully it's a guide to what's in here. Hi, Frank. Please find enclosed several items of no particular value. (laughs) Well, this is exactly what I'm looking for. More junk. Please find and close several items of no particular value. I thought that you might like them. There is no need to reply. Listening to your shows is my reward. Oh, that's nice. Live long and prosper. Best regards, Paul. Let's see. What did he send me here? All right. We have an envelope or with Australian stamps on it. Okay, And so we have a $2 bill, which says it's for Carmine. And looks like a pretty standard two-dollar bill. Okay, we have a tiny little brown envelope. Let's see, let's open this up. Let's see what's in here. Let's see, oh, it's a button. Ah, I love this. I am going to add this to my collection. This is a Ralph Nader Winona Leduc campaign button. This is from the year two thousand. I love this. I do have a little, not an exhaustive campaign button collection, but I have a mini. Button collection. I am going to throw that in there. That is really cool. Thank you. Uh, The next time I see Ralph, I'm going to tell him that. Uh, Show him that. And a Gore 2000. Uh, I don't like that one as much, but uh, I'll add it to my collection anyway. uh, Let's see. What else we got here? And um, a Civil War Gettysburg. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to open this or not. It's in plastic. Civil War Stamps on envelopes. I'm not going to open it. Let me know if I should. And what's this here? This is more... I think more stamps. Walmart station... Is it postcards? Yeah. um, They're envelopes with Daffy Duck stamps on them. And Bugs Bunny. So, there you go. I guess this is... uh, We'll get that started for Carmine's stamp collection, along with my George Bush and Elvis stamps. Okay. Um... To the world of Instagram we go. Uh, this is, My Instagram is Morano Vision. I was comment, So all I did, I posted a photo of uh, myself and a couple that I know on Instagram, Joe and Rachel Borelli. I think it's a great photo. I think we all look good. And yet the user Babs Jagger writes, If anyone is looking for comedy, tune into Curtis Sliwa at 4 a.m. Sunday morning." Avery has compiled parts of Frank's shows, and it's hysterical. I seriously don't get how he has all these hours. Does anyone give a poop emoji about his kid's nap schedule and the rest of his personal BS? He talks about his love of apples and then focuses on cookies. Looks like Frank consumes a lot more cookies than apples. It's so funny yet sad at the same time. It's who you know these days... For getting a job, and yet you know uh, clearly this person doesn't like the show that we're doing. Okay, it's all right, but still she cares about me enough to follow me on on Instagram. Uh, So if you, uh, that's fine. God bless. If you want to follow me on Instagram, you certainly uh, you certainly can. All right. Um, M O R A N O Vision Lawrence writes. This is email. Thanks for cutting off that nurse meanie. Yeah, that lady in the first hour was really rude. I, I, again, I, I wouldn't be rude to anybody like that. Frank, wow, that nurse caller to your show uh, at around 1.15 was really mean. Good you cut her off as she went on to try and shut you off and hog the dialogue entirely. Yes, indeed, indeed nurses can be really mean and dictatorial. Uh, Sincerely Lawrence I don't think that's a reflection on nurses I was with my friend Audrey Silverstein yesterday She's a nurse, her daughter's a nurse Both incredibly nice people Most nurses I know are incredibly nice people I think that lady's just bitter and mean All right, uh, Jim in New Hampshire writes On the subject of improv comedy Frank, if improv comedy improves your health I have six months to live I'm told there's nobody less funny than me Okay Uh, Best of luck to you. Lewis writes, seven-second delay. Frank, whatever happened to the seven-second delay allowing removal of a call containing obscene words or an inappropriate comment? Well, we still have that. I don't know what you're talking about, Lewis. And I wrote him back. I don't know what he's talking about. Mike writes, "Uh, hello, Frank. It was nice to hear that Carmine's vocabulary is increasing every day. He's up to 20 words. Wonderful. His vocabulary includes words like duck and truck. Interesting. Interesting. The way I see it, this may be a potential problem. We both know he's one mispronunciation away from the dreaded F-word. I know based on your own admission, you choose not to use profanity, and that's good. We won't hear it he won't hear it from you, but what about the wifey, the missus, his mom? Does she drop one on occasion around the house? My mom does, and she's in her 80s. How embarrassing would it be for you while pushing him around in a shopping cart, perhaps at the supermarket, he, gets, he lets one fly, maybe within earshot of an elderly shopper, only to be lectured for poor child-rearing. My goodness, what are you teaching that kid? We both know it's not you, but who then? Obviously, they don't listen to the show, or they'd know better. Out of the mouths of babes. Uh, thank you for always great radio. Mike out. P.S. Keep a bar of life buoy around just in case for the Ralphie experience. All right. Um, soup. Lou writes, Frank, I drift in and out of sleep listening to your program. On the topic of food, did anyone mention Italian Putinesca soup? Putan means whore, and Putinesca means in the style of whores, it's a quick neat meal for whores who need to get back to work. I'm very familiar with Putinesca sauce. It's delicious, and I order it frequently. It's pretty easy to make as well. Um, I don't I've never had Putinesca soup. Or I'm, I'll be honest, I've never heard of Putinesca soup. It sounds delicious. I'd love to try that. Uh, and I, I, I never even thought of Putinesca sauce as a traditional Thanksgiving meal. You know what I didn't mention? Not Thanksgiving, Easter meal. You know what I didn't mention yesterday? And it's more of a St. Joseph's Day meal, but pasta con sarda, you know, uh, with the fennel and the, and the I think, sard- anchovies sometimes, or I guess some people use sardines, but... Uh, That is a traditional meal that's enjoyed around this time of year. Hey, speaking of food, Eliana writes, Hi, Frank, in reference to the topic you addressed on why sheep's milk isn't commonly found in stores, this is what I heard. My grandfather, Teodoro, was a sheep and goat herder by trade. He was born in 1898 and lived in a small town in southern Italy. As children, we asked my father why his dad always sold goat's milk to drink but never sheep's milk. The answer was that sheep's milk is, quote, too strong, not good to drink, but only to make cheese. Goat's milk is light and pleasant tasting in comparison. Now I read online that sheep normally don't produce milk continuously all year as goats do, only when feeding their young. So it may have been for commercial reasons since the old days and it never became common practice. I would conclude that the main reason is really that the taste is not very palatable, even if the nutrition value is high. That is why it's not commonly found in grocery stores. Thanks for listening. Well, that's an interesting theory. I have no idea if that's accurate, but it's an interesting theory. Miss M writes, unfortunately, when someone calls the radio and says, I'll make this quick, it is a long-winded statement, and often when someone says, have a blessed anything, it goes south from there. All the very best. Um, Michael writes, on the subject of live streaming uh, the Trump trial, no live streaming. It would be a show. The attorneys will play to the camera. This is as insane as <laughs> ranked choice voting. <laughs> it makes the witnesses and jurors uncomfortable even if you hide their faces. Do what appeals attorneys do. Read the transcript each day. I disagree on every level. Uh, let me get one more in here. Um, oh, I never do this. But this is a request... A response to an interview request that I submitted. I submitted a request to this lady who calls themse- her- herself the NAP Bishop. She's the founder of the NAP Ministry. There was a big article about her a couple of years ago, and I think I talked about her at the time. So I reached out to her about coming on the show, and I never do this. I never usually share a response from a prospective guest, but this is what she said, and this is the last one I'll read. The subject is not just response to radio interview requests. It says, embrace a slow-paced response, and then re-radio interview request. Thank you for reaching out. I'm honored that you are interested in my work. Email responses will be slower than expected, but it doesn't mean your message is not important to me. Please refrain from following up and circling back. I will be in touch as soon as my energy allows for it. Please note, one, I do not participate in podcasts. They don't fit into my time management goals. Two, I am completely booked through July of 2023. This includes projects, workshops, lectures, media, etc. Three, please engage with my debut New York Times best-selling book while I'm away. You can learn more and purchase Rest is Resistance, a manifesto, at our website, at the website below or any bookseller nationwide. Trust the divine timing of our connection. Sending dreams for a rested world. We will rest. Exclamation point. I've never gotten an email like that in my life. I mean, that's that takes the <laughs> level of sanctimonious <laughs> to a whole new level. All of a sudden, I was, I'm was i grateful that she's booked till July of 2023. If I do ever interview this lady, it's going to be all about that email. That's the whole thing we'll cover. All right, if we didn't get to your letter this time, you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com, and perhaps it will be read on a future edition of...
12: Some action, but like Mick Jagger said, I can't get no satisfaction. The girls are all around, but none of them want to get with me. My threats are fresh, and I'm looking deaf. Yo, what's up? What a LOC.
1: The girls just all jockey, at the other end of the barn, having drinks with some no name chump when they know that I'm the star. So I got up and strolled over to the other side of the cantina. I asked the guy, Why are you so fly? He said, Funky Cole Medina. This is tone low. Uh, by the way, I misspoke earlier, and I want to thank the lady that just reached out to me. I said that um, lemons have more sugar than oranges, and apparently that was that was uh, inaccurate. Um, lemon oranges have a higher sugar content uh, in comparison to lemons. So um, I'm not sure what I was thinking of. Maybe I was thinking of strawberries. Uh, or something along those lines, but, um, but yeah, it must have been something else. So uh, it was one of those things that was sort of counterintuitive, but I want to thank this lady that, uh, that wrote to me. Um, oh, okay, I think it was, yeah, I think it was strawberry. A lemon contains 70% sugar, and strawberry contains only 40% sugar. The reason that the lemon tastes sour, e- even having more sugar than the strawberry, is that the lemon contains a higher amount of citric acid, usually 3 to 6%, and that dominates the sweet taste of the lemon and results in the sour taste. So there you have it. Uh, thank you to the lady that, uh, that corrected me. Um, I don't have her name here, but uh, so be it. All right. Next hour, we're going to get into Saudi Arabia. Um, Some big news yesterday in terms of OPEC and oil. And it's not going to be a good situation for the United States, that's for sure. We'll get into it and uh, talk about what we can do about it in a moment. Until next hour, keep asking questions. Uh, this is the other side of me. I'm Frank Moreno. Now I'm always I'm always hesitant to make comments like the one that I'm about to make and I'll explain why after I make it. That being said, the comment is this: I do not trust Saudi Arabia and I have never trusted Saudi Arabia. And now to say that, it almost comes across as uh, prejudiced. But what does that mean when I say I don't trust Saudi Arabia? It does not mean that I think every person that lives in Saudi Arabia is bad. It doesn't mean that I think all Saudis are bad. I certainly don't. I don't think that's the case. I'm not for banning the Saudis from international Olympic competitions or playing in uh, professional sporting events or, uh, or prohibiting them from symphonies or anything like that. Not at all. No. I think we should have the same approach to the people of Saudi Arabia that we have a, as every other country, which is you judge the people in a country on their own merits, right? That being said, I find the Saudi government, and then I'm going to give an asterisk on this as well, so shady. I think they are way too cozy with terrorists and have been historically too cozy with terrorists. I think they have funded Wahhabi, uh, Wahhabist terrorist groups like um, Al-Qaeda. I think they've been way too cozy with groups like ISIS. I think uh, they are bad news. I think what they do in terms of a lack of respect for human rights, for women, for gays, and for others, is reprehensible. I think it is just an autocratic regime. It's just a government that I don't trust. Now, here's the disclaimer that I was going to give for this. The the royal family in saudi arabia is just massive and there are many members of the royal family that i'm sure have more progressive views and when I, and i when i say progressive i don't mean that in the way that uh we use the term progressive here i mean not wanting to i mean wanting to come out of the 15th century that's what i mean I hate that the Saudis have for so long maintained a stranglehold on so many different aspects of American society, American energy and uh, the economy and, and so much. It just it makes me cringe, honestly, when I see... American president after America. And I'm all for being respectful to every country and every world leader and dealing with every world leader autocrats, dictators, democratically elected leaders you name it. I think every world leader, whether we like them or don't like them, should be treated with respect. That being said, I just, when I see presidents of both parties run over to Saudi Arabia to bow and to kiss the members of the Saudi royal family, and to genuflect, to me, I find it almost embarrassing. I find it emasculating for America on the world stage. And I just think it was the role that both parties in Washington have played in keeping the full scope of Saudi involvement in September 11th from coming to the forefront is staggering to me. What is the only bill that Obama vetoed and had overridden? Why would he veto that? It had to do with letting uh, victims of terrorism sue governments that supported that. But we'll put aside the terrorist angle for the moment. You are also seeing a situation where Saudi Arabia still controls a huge portion of the world's oil supply. Now, there are other countries that make a lot of oil too, but we saw what happened with Russia. In light of the war with Ukraine, we have sanctions on Russia. We're not uh, importing any Russian oil. The United States uh, certainly produces a lot of oil. Uh, There's oil produced in places like Mexico. Uh, There's oil produced in places like Venezuela, although we've had a, a sanctioned situation with them. Well, yesterday, the Saudis and OPEC, of which Saudi Arabia is sort of the ringleader of, the Saudis announced that they are cutting oil production. It is bad news for American consumers and for the American economy. OPEC announced yesterday that it's going to reduce oil production by over a million barrels a day. Saudi Arabia is leading this move. They are cutting their own output by half a million to 11 million barrels a day. Now, what does that mean? That means, as you saw today or yesterday, if you um, paid any attention to the global commodity markets, the price of oil is skyrocketing. What does that mean? Well, increased oil is good news for Russia. They have been forced to sell at a discount since sanctions were imposed. And this is bad news for American consumers and certainly for Joe Biden. They are saying that gas prices could rise in this country by 26 cents per gallon. And that's going to increase tensions significantly between Washington and Riyadh. Japan, meanwhile said it would start buying Russian oil above the $60 a barrel price cap imposed by Western countries. And the oil purchases are small, but they show a weakening in the international consensus behind the sanctions, according to the Wall Street Journal. John Katsimatidis, who's the owner of our network, he's also in the oil business and uh, has been in the energy business for a long time. He was on with uh, my friend Sid Rosenberg on WABC yesterday. And he was talking about this China Saudi alliance. Now, I'm going to play you what he said, but I want you to keep in mind here China, not the United States, but China negotiated the thawing of relations between Iran and Saudi Arabia. They were the peacemakers. They got Iran and Saudi Arabia to have diplomatic relations with one another for the first time in many years. Additionally, that role that China played there in being a peacemaker between Iran and Saudi Arabia, two countries that uh, I would have thought were, were mortal enemies and could not make peace. That role could actually play a significant role in leading to finally an end to this civil war in Yemen, which you never hear about, but it has been a humanitarian disaster for the last eight years. So... Uh, here's John uh talking about oil, the Saudis, OPEC, and China.
12: Here he is, my main man. I love him, John Katsimatidis. Good morning, John.
5: Good morning, Sid. And uh, I called you last night because it's a serious thing that's going on. And I thought our, all our listeners should be the first to know because this news doesn't get decimated. We are in an economic war. The good news is we're not. Using bullets, we're not using nuclear bombs, but we are in an economic war, Saudi Arabia yesterday on behalf of china, russia, the new alliance you know in the in the double o seven days, we used to call it spectra <laughs> yeah. well well it's it's here uh you know don't forget china uh russia uh saudi arabia uh brazil venezuela india Pakistan. They're all together. And now the new alliance, they cut oil 1.6 million barrels. What? This 1.6 million barrels uh, over the weekend. Uh, and uh, the price of oil is soaring this morning in New York. It's over $80 a barrel. Jeez. And you're going to see the price of gasoline go up, the price of diesel fuel go up. Oh, yeah. And guess guess what? All the food manufacturers that I predicted are going to start lowering the prices? How do you say it in Brooklyn? Forget about it. (laughs) Now, John's
1: right there, and obviously John knows the oil business significantly. But the bottom line is Saudi Arabia has plenty of oil, plenty of energy. They're one of the most oil-rich countries in the world. Now, this move is very aggressive. And it's really designed to hurt the American consumer. Um, And now, Saudi Arabia, which has more oil than they can use and more oil than they can export, literally, as you can see by the fact that they're cutting production, in 500 lifetimes, they are looking to develop a nuclear energy program. Now you ask yourself why would a country which does have a fair share uh, a fair amount of earthquakes from time to time but why would a country that has this much oil and they don't have to go to the same great lengths that we do here that oil comes up much more easily in Saudi Arabia than it does in many parts of the United States um why would they be looking to develop a nuclear energy program now they maintain six ways from Sunday that this is a peaceful nuclear energy program. Let me go on record as saying I don't believe that. I don't believe their intentions are peaceful at all. I think they want a nuclear weapon. I think they want to be a nuclear-armed country. And we can I've explained why. I understand why countries want nuclear weapons, but I don't believe for a second that this nuclear energy program is solely peaceful. For years, they've been talking about this, and they have pressed... The United States to help them develop a nuclear energy program. As the Saudis are trying to look beyond oil to power their country, isn't it interesting? We haven't opened a new nuclear power plant in half a century in the United States, but other countries are going more in that direction. It goes back to what we were talking about the other day. But talks about a nuclear partnership have dragged on largely. Because the Saudi government refuses to agree to conditions that are intended to prevent it from developing nuclear weapons or helping other nations do so. That's all we're asking. We're not saying we won't help you. We're not saying we won't sell you the reactors. Because we know if there's one thing the United States loves to do, it's sell stuff to the Saudis, and uh, especially weapons. All we're saying is, please don't develop nuclear weapons. Or help other countries enrich uranium and do that kind of thing? So, Saudis wouldn't agree to these conditions. So, the frustrated Saudis are now exploring other options to work with other countries, including China, including Russia. They're going to go to them for help. In terms of getting nuclear energy. So at the same time that they're renewing a push with the United States, which they claim is their preferred partner. By offering to normalize relations with Israel in exchange for U.S. cooperation on building nuclear reactors and other guarantees, they're going and with the other hand, reaching out to China and Russia and saying, hey, if it doesn't work with the United States, we'd love to expand our partnership with you. This is bad news. Bad news. Speaking at a news conference in January in Riyadh, Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman, the energy minister, said that plans to enrich uranium and produce nuclear fuel, including for export, were even more important than proposed reactors in Saudi Arabia. So they want to enrich uranium, and then they want to sell it. I believe they want to give it to terrorists, Um but, and then they want to sell it all over the country. I mean, all over the world. And the energy ministry said in a statement that the bidding process for two reactors involves several technology vendors and that it expected to receive proposals soon. I realize there is some danger in being tough with Saudi Arabia because if they announce that uh, we're no longer trading, they're no longer trading oil in dollars, they're no longer pricing oil in dollars, they're no longer selling Oil futures in dollars, that could be bad news for the American greenback. I realize that. This is not a strategy without risk. However, I think something has got to be done. What Saudi Arabia is doing in terms of killing American residents like Jamal Khashoggi, in terms of... Uh, ignoring the human rights of their own people, in terms of buying influence in American think tanks and American media organizations and uh, really all over America, in terms of double dealing, uh, in terms of not even agreeing to make sure that there are guarantees that their nuclear energy program, which they don't need because of all the oil they have, the oceans of oil, In terms of not even guaranteeing that that's going to be a peaceful nuclear weapons program or nuclear energy program, we should tell them to go to hell. What does that mean? Well, if President Biden is genuinely committed to human rights, one thing he can do right now, he should not stand in the way of a bipartisan Senate resolution. So, only five days... After Saudi Arabia and Iran agreed to normalize relations, the Senate moved one step closer to possibly ending U.S. arms sales to Riyadh through legislation that could redefine the entire U.S.-Saudi relationship. March 15th, Democratic Senator Chris Murphy, Republican Senator Mike Lee introduce a resolution that would require the State Department to produce a report on Saudi Arabia's human rights record, as well as its conduct in Yemen. And once Congress has received the report, which, given the Saudis' long history of abuses, is likely to show a consistent pattern of human rights violations, Congress could vote to end U.S. security assistance. The preparation of a report, a document that will draw From the State Department's existing annual human rights reports, which are also mandated, by the way, by the Foreign Assistance Act, is relatively uncontroversial. It's the second part of this process that has the potential to transform our whole relationship with the Saudis. Once the report has been received, Congress has the option to trigger a vote on ending the sale of weapons to Riyadh. This is wild. See the portion of the Foreign Assistance Act that we're talking about here has never been used to block a weapons sale. It's only been invoked once, and that was in 1976, only, and that was only to compel reports on the human rights abuses of Argentina, Iran, and four other countries receiving U.S. weapons in the midst of the Cold War, when we would ignore what all the countries were doing as long as they were anti-communist. But by invoking this provision of the Foreign Service Act, Foreign Assistance Act 502B, a powerful but untested provision. Senator Lee and Senator Murphy could initiate a massive shift, not only in the U.S. security relationship with Saudi Arabia, but in its relationship with other systematic human rights abusers that currently receive U.S. security assistance. Now, I think this is a great idea. Other analysts disagree. Foundation for Defensive Democracies, they have pushed for the United States to contain China. Their, China's growing regional influence by doubling down on security partnerships with Arab states. I'm betting the FDD gets at least some Saudi money. And they would view the center's new resolution as the worst possible response. Biden himself in defending his controversial visit to Saudi Arabia last summer, justified his decision under the framework of competing with China. And remember, that was Trump's whole rationale. First trip he made abroad, where did he go? Saudi Arabia. And he said, look, look at all these great deals we're making for American uh, companies. What were those companies? Arms manufacturers. That's who's getting wealthy. Is that trickling down to you? Of course not. Under that perspective, the Trump-Biden perspective, the... United States should react to Saudi-Iranian normalization by capitulating to the terms that Saudi Arabia expects the U.S. to meet. And that is bogus. Saudi Arabia demands um, include a U.S. security guarantee, such as major non-NATO ally alliance. They want more weapons sales. They want support for a civilian nuclear energy program. And that final condition, that nuclear energy program, Includes the provision that the Saudis enrich their own material, giving them access to the building blocks of a nuclear weapon. And there's only two senators so far that are coming out and saying no. Uh, Biden and Trump, for that matter, should 100 percent come out in favor of this bipartisan revolution. No more weapon sales to Saudi Arabia, if this report shows what I think it will will show. This resolution, the Murphy-Lee resolution, could effectively torpedo these Saudi demands by limiting or ending weapon sales exactly when the Saudis are asking for easier access to our weapons. And it could push the Saudi crown prince closer to Beijing, and I realize that that's a risk, but we need to rebalance the U.S.-Saudi relationship, because as it stands now, They are holding all the cards, all the cards. And uh, there seem to be far too few people in Washington that are willing to stand up to them. And I'm glad uh, that these two senators are. And you look any which direction. 2018, Human Rights Watch documented a massive uptick in the number of individuals arbitrarily detained without criminal charges. Mass executions continue including of individuals charged with crimes uh, they allegedly committed as children. I mean, this is not the kind of people we want to be selling weapons to. The State Department's recently released report on human rights in Saudi Arabia for 2022 details a litany of abuses committed by the Saudi state, not only of its citizens, but of the population of Yemen. And if Congress decides to limit or end security assistance to Riyadh, The U.S. arms manufacturers would lose their biggest customer. Given the high stakes and the lobbying power of those arms companies and the campaign contributions they make, a complete halt to weapons to Saudi Arabia is probably unlikely. But such a shift would reflect Biden's supposed commitment to human rights, wouldn't it? And his assertion that the government should do all it can to promote all democracy. How do we justify publicly um, opposing what Russia is doing, and yet turn a blind eye to the, what the Saudis are doing. And we help them do it. Those bombs that are falling on Yemeni children right now, they're stamped with the label Made in the USA. That's our legacy in the Middle East right now. This the same justification for promoting and upholding democracy, that's the justification that Biden has used to send more than $100 billion of your money to Ukraine. And yet we're just going to keep selling the Saudis' weapons no matter what they do? No. Uh, I am all for this Lee and Murphy resolution, and I'd love to see it get some uh, broader support uh, in both parties. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll uh, take your questions straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano.
10: You know, apparently this is not my night. I made uh,
1: another error earlier. Uh, This is the other side of midnight. on Frank Moreno, and I always like to correct the record. So uh, this is what I get for trying to look at uh, statistics quickly. I said earlier that in 2022, no one died um, on the subway. And uh, apparently I was looking at the 2022 subway attack. And uh, sure enough, there were uh, 11 people. Killed in 2022 on, um, you know, on the subway in incidents that various incidents. But um, I still don't think that's enough people, as the caller was saying, to affect the outcome of the life expectancy. I mean, that's such a relatively insignificant number. I mean, one is too many. But statistically, in a country with 300 plus million people, 11 people on the subway is not going to alter life expectancy. So my the fact was wrong. But the point is still accurate. All right. 800-848-9222. Uh, 800-848-9222. Uh, we will get to your calls in a moment. Let me see here. Uh, I did want to mention one other thing before we ran out of time. Uh, well, it, actually, you've been so patient to hold. We'll get to as many of you as we can here. Uh, Eddie is in
19: Babylon. Hello, Eddie. Love the content. I want to ask John to Put you on daytime so you can have more time with Carmine. Um, when when you go to sleep and you wake up in the morning, and it didn't used to be like this. When you're on Joe's show and producer, there was probably a lot more comedy. Now we wake up to a nightmare every day, and you probably take in news content. And you know, I I'm a nuclear medicine technologist, so I know about. Radioactive things. I worked at a B&L where Einstein worked, and Einstein had a lot of remorse because they had him develop the bomb and everything else, and enriching plutonium, which now Iran and Saudi Arabia is. He had angst when Hiroshima and Nagasaki were bombed. It broke his heart. And these people do not need electricity from a nuclear power plant. I know for a fact. My brother-in-law who comes from Targ, his last name is Targi, in Iran. His parents' house doesn't have electricity. If it's hot at night, they sleep on the roof. They have a ditch in the back, which is their bathroom. The people are treated like dirt. And these clerics, I've seen parades where they have the American flag, Frank, with bombs on the flag coming down. Because we're infidels, but they will have five wives. You know, you give your son a good life. And he sees the love between you and his wife and everything. And I don't know. Don't let him play Call of Duty. <laughs> we talked about that the other night. But Frank, what do you think about this? This is this is going towards, you know, really death and destruction. I I just I had a dream as a kid that I saw a mushroom cloud, like in Manhattan, that we got that we got bombed. I I just how do we protect America? Do we wait a year and a half till, like, Mister um, Nightmares out of office? Uh, what do we what do, we do, Frank? What, yeah, uh,
1: do we do? Well, I, I don't know is the short answer. And I think the one thing I'm going to do, thank you, Eddie, is uh, just try and uh, talk about this and make sure that people are aware of it so that when someone comes asking for your vote, ask them what their position is on that. If they're running for Congress, if they're running for president, um, ask them where they are on supporting this Lee Murphy resolution, which I think is very reasonable. So, um, 800-848-9222. But, uh, Eddie, one of the other things. Uh, I have time with Carmine, right? So I spend my whole afternoon with Carmine. Um, As soon as I wake up, and he wakes up. We're we're together, so uh, I am not looking to come off overnights. I want to be very clear on that. I don't want anything misinterpreted, because I know John listens to this show, and I don't want him to think that he should move me. Uh, I should stay, in my opinion, exactly where I am. Don't move me. We're doing really well here, and uh, we have a growing audience, not just in New York, but around the country. So I appreciate the sentiment behind what you're saying, but uh, I I have time with comment. Bob
18: is in Manhattan. Hello, Bob. Hello, Frank. Listen, you sound like a wacko progressive with your um, plan for Saudi Arabia. To begin with, this administration has completely castrated our oil development, so now we're more dependent on Saudi Arabia. We did this to ourselves, or rather the Biden administration did, and we're begging enemies like Venezuela to send us oil. That's the first thing. The second thing is, do you think that Saudi Arabia can't buy deadly weapons from China and Russia? That's the second thing. And the third thing is it's going to destroy whatever industries we have in terms of military development in this country. Now, whether or not that trickles down is irrelevant. The fact of the matter is income for this country. And for some reason, you sound like, I don't know, some sort of a progressive liberal in all of this. Okay, they don't have a great human rights program. Many countries don't. In fact, most countries don't. That is not true. But the fact of the matter is we have no other choice thanks to this administration.
1: All right. A couple things, Bob. One, I appreciate the ad hominem attack that you began the phone call with in terms of calling me a name. Okay. I can deal with that. Um, Two, if I'm a a whatever you called me, wacko, liberal, progressive, um, what would you call Senator Mike Lee? Would you call him? Um, the guy is uh, the uh, the farthest thing from a progressive that there is, and he's the Republican sponsor of this. Is he a progressive? Three, uh, what you said about most countries having the uh, kind of human rights records that Saudi Arabia does, that is just simply not true. Three, I won't argue with you that we should have more domestic energy production. Um, And as far as... Uh, your comment that if we don't sell the armaments to Saudi Arabia, that they're going to buy them from Russia and, and China, you're probably right. You're probably right. That's what they're trying to do with nuclear reactors now. What kind of rationale is that? Well, I uh, I, I want to give my 15-year-old son alcohol, because if he doesn't get it from me, he's going to get it from somewhere else. Um. I think the difference in being a partner in trampling of human rights in multiple countries, including this one. We spoke with Terry Strata of the 9-11 families about what the Saudis did in the run up to 9-11. And the fact that you don't care about that and you still want to sell them weapons, that's really sick, Bob. Now, I may be progressive. I don't know. But if you're if you feel that way, that you're so desperate for American arms manufacturers to keep this cash pipeline going to Saudi Arabia, I have nothing but sympathy for you because you're really a sick, demented, twisted individual. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Lynn is in Baltimore. Hello,
12: Lynn.
20: Oh, Frank, progressive reactionary, you keep me balanced. Here I am walking the tightrope of life between Call of Duty on the right and Grand Theft Auto on the left. And listening to you keeps me balanced. I just want to say, with the respect to the Saudis, it's not their fault that our oil is under their sand. Now, I know we live here in the United States of amnesia. But I seem to recall that in Gulf War One, we drove Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait, and they make a lot of oil. And then we saved Iraq in the second Gulf War, and they make a lot of oil. So you would think that a simple phone call to the Kuwaitis or the Iraqis would make up for the amount of oil that the Saudis claim they're not going to be producing. I think this is all Contrived. I think the real objective here is to reduce your carbon footprint so they can regulate that better and so they can set up all these um, recharging stations because we're all going to have electric cars. The administration has promised us this, and the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab, they're going to make sure that if we don't reduce our consumption of oil, we'll just have climate lockdowns just like the COVID lockdowns.
1: All right, thank you, uh Lynn. You know, Lynn brought up one good point about Kuwait. You know, that's true. We did save them from Saddam Hussein. Um and yet recently Kuwaiti oil exports to the United States fell to a new low. They have um they have the capacity to produce million barrels per day. They hold 7% of global oil reserves and have a production capacity currently of over 3 million barrels per day. And yet we still allow the Saudis to have this kind of stranglehold on the global energy market? It's bogus. Bogus. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Rick is in New Jersey.
18: Hello, Rick.
19: Yes, good morning, Frank. Good morning. Two things. Uh, first, about the uh, the guy who said, uh, I think it was a guy, uh, that you don't have a seven-second delay. The reason he may have said that is if you're, like me, waiting on cue on the phone, there is no seven-second right. delay. Here, either. Of that. So he might have been on the, on the phone waiting to talk to you mm. and, and heard that, because I've heard many. Curse words that you guys cut out. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Second, about you leaving late night, please. No, Frank, if I get stuck with that red eye radio again or Frankie Russo, I'll have to shoot myself. No, uh,
1: I don't think there's any danger of that happening. I certainly hope not. As long as people keep listening, I think we're going to be okay. We're
19: listening like, you know, we listen every night.
1: Thank you, Rick. Appreciate that. Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry.
12: Larry's asleep again.
18: Is this a bit? I feel like he's putting
1: me on here. Is this sincere? Wait a minute. Wake up! Larry. Is it? He was talking. I mean, that's l- loudly talking.
4: Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Wow. Wake up! Wake
1: up! Larry. Wake up! All right, we we'll, right. We'll we'll, we'll we'll get back to Larry after the uh, after after a, a quick word um, from um, you know from a lot of great folks. But I do want to tell you um, a couple of things. One, <laughs> I can't get over that. So, my a couple of things happened recently. One, I bought a whole nother round of promotional pens, of Frank Moreno pens, promoting, you know, our podcast and that kind of thing. And it's, um, you know, they're really neat pens. If you ever run into me, in fact, when I saw Bill Lee last week when he was sitting in for uh, Kenneth, he said, oh, let me have one of those pens, and I gave him one. They're really nice pens. They're expensive. You know, I mean, they're not super expensive, but they're expensive. And uh, I think they're great promotional items. It's a great way to, and my Twitter's on there as well, so it's a great way to increase awareness about my Twitter at Frank Morano, and a great way to increase awareness about the podcast and so forth. So, I just bought a whole new round, two hundred and something dollars worth of of pens and uh, i don't mind i don't mind doing that because i feel like it's money well spent i think pens are great promotional items and they get used by people and people see them i think it's uh, i think it's great so then the other thing that i can't stop purchasing from is items from the other side of midnight online store and you could check that out at store.othersideofmidnightshow.com. That's store.othersideofmidnightshow.com. And I just bought a, um, a this new denim jacket from there and a new Murano jersey, which is pretty cool. And last night it finally arrived, and I'm pretty pumped about this, a new Other Side of Midnight pillow. So, you know, I have a fair amount of credit card debt. Not a massive amount, but a decent amount. So my wife, who's very good with budgeting, she says to me this weekend, why don't we go through all your credit card statements? And we did find one or two expenses that I can uh, cut out. For instance, I am paying, and I had no idea it was this much, honestly. I am paying $130 a month for constant contact which is basically a service that I use to email people. And when I add people to my email list, I use Constant Contact for that. And then when I send emails out, these mass emails out, I use Constant Contact to send it out. Now, it's a great service. I really like it. But is it worth $130? No. So I'm going to see if maybe there's a another version that I could use that's less expensive or a similar service that I can still maintain all those contacts and migrate it to, if anybody knows of one, please email me Frank at wabcradio.com. In fact, email me there anyway if you want to be added to my email list because I'm going to um, I'm going to uh, I may have to cancel this soon. So I'm going to get out an email this week to promote a couple of things that we're doing, and then we'll see you know we'll see where that goes after that. So this could be the kind of last major email that we send out. Hopefully not. Hopefully we'll find out another solution, but you know we'll see what happens. But Point is, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of credit card bills that need paying off. So my mother, while she was doing a little spring cleaning the other day, she comes across a bottle of champagne from 1980, either 84 or 85. Oh, 1985. The 1985 champagne, it's uh, Salon Blanc des blancs and she looks this up and uh, she said you know i don't know where she found it but she said she got it years ago at a liquor store and she says i want to give it to you meaning me and so she gave me this bottle of champagne how much do you think this bottle of champagne sells for how much do you think it goes for Uh, any guesses matt blaze
16: I have no idea about champagne, but if, you, if you're Need saying do, this, I'd
1: like to drink it. But
16: I don't know, hundred bucks, hundred bucks, no idea.
1: Uh, what do you think, Ken? I'll go three hundred. Three hundred. That's a lot of money, right? Um, <laughs> this champagne sells online for somewhere between eighteen hundred dollars and twenty six hundred dollars. What? Now, depending on where you're buying it from, and so uh my my wife said you this your mom has giving you you gotta sell it, sell it, and use it to pay some of these bills. It's like that two thousand dollar book you have lying around and I said, Well 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 wait let's 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 wait just a minute here let's just wait just a minute. I mean, I'm sure it would be great to sell it, but can you imagine how good two thousand dollar champagne tastes? I said, well, What if we save it' for a, a special occasion, maybe our uh, 10th wedding anniversary or uh, Carmine's graduation from high school or something else. I don't know. And she said, absolutely not. She said, I refuse, absolutely refuse to drink $2,000 champagne. I will not do it. So what you say makes no sense. So, um... That is not a battle that I'm going to win, and I could use that $2,000. So I have to see where we're going to sell it, but I was floored by that. Who knows what else we have lying around the house. So far we found found an $1,800 book and a $2,000 bottle of champagne. you got to wonder what else is there. Um, See, this is why I don't like to throw anything out. It's a house full of treasures.
16: So you would sell it, right? Uh, probably since I don't really drink champagne right. anyway, but do you, does your mother know that it's an $1,800 bottle? Yes. Yeah. Oh.
1: Yeah. No, she know And she, she yeah, she, uh, she said, you know, you go ahead and, and sell it. Basically, oh, she, she did was say okay that? Yeah. Oh, wow.
16: She said, do what you want with it, you and know? Sell it. I um, mean, it's funny that she's giving it to you now, right before you're able to start drinking again.
1: It is funny. There is an <laughs> irony there. There is an irony there. But, uh, and Ken, you would say sell it also? Yeah, I'd say sell it. But uh, for you, you can celebrate on Good Friday with it
17: when you're, <laughs> when you're done with your fast.
1: Right. I uh, So I think that's what I'm going to do. I got to find a good wine store in terms of some place that I can bring them. And they're probably not going to give me $2,000 uh, because they have to resell it to the consumer. But there's got to be some place that I could sell it and get, I don't know, $1,600, $1,700. If anyone knows of one, email me, uh, and I will, I will do that. But it is a very difficult thing, because you think the IRS auditors are tough. It is very tough w- having my wife go through your credit card statement and then justifying promotional pen expenses. It is quite a challenge, quite a challenge. And uh, I said, well, you know, maybe some of it's deductible and we can do that. And uh, and all this other side of midnight merchandise, which I do get a little bit of a discount. But, you know, still, we got a box yesterday with more other side of midnight merchandise arriving at the house. And she just said, no, I mean, you, you can't be getting all this other side of midnight merchandise. You, I don't think you understand, she says to me, "the the concept of you know you're working this is your show you shouldn't be paying money to purchase the merchandise items from it i said honey i get a discount the more we buy the more of a discount we get and somehow that uh, that reasoning it didn't it did not fly with her did not fly with her let's check in with uh, larry and brooklyn
0: <laughs> Larry?
1: i think larry might have stopped breathing not hearing anything now. Wake up! Larry! All right. I'm Wake gonna, up! I'm letting you go. It's not even funny if he's not um, if he's not snoring, right? But, uh, all right, we're going to take your uh, calls in just a moment. Eight open lines if there's anything you have on your mind. 800-848-9222. That's one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 848 9222 This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.
1: Side of Midnight, Um, I have just never believed these stories about women, and you usually hear this with young girls, but women who didn't know that they were pregnant and they all of a sudden give birth, okay? Um, I just never understood it. I I just, I don't know how that's possible. Your body goes through such a profound change. I've just never, never gotten it. Now, I can maybe get it at if a young girl or young woman is 14 years old, 15 years old, 17 years old, and she just doesn't, her body is still going through some changes and she just doesn't know the deal. But this story that the New York Post reported on out of Georgia over the weekend, I'll be honest with you, I just don't believe it. I do not believe it. Something is fishy here. A Georgia woman who mistook labor pains for a bad stomachache was stunned when she went to the bathroom and out popped A bouncing baby boy. Marla McIntyre, you know how old she is? 34 years old. 34 years old. I look down in the toilet and he's there with water up to his ears and right under his chin. Just looking up at me like, are you going to get me out of here, Mom? McIntyre, who's 5 feet tall and 160 pounds, normally... Never had a noticeable baby bump in the whole nine months leading up to her child's February birth, she said. And, look, there's a picture. She definitely gave birth. Her son is Atlas, and there's a picture of her. She looks healthy. He looks healthy, thank God. I just look like maybe I I ate a big burrito. If you saw my size and the way that I didn't show, it's astonishing how he could be in there and me not know it. The mother-to-be only ever suspected she might have been pregnant when her period failed to arrive in August, But a clear blue pregnancy test came back negative. I just went on about my life. Whose period, uh, said McIntyre, whose periods resumed regularly after that. What? See, that's so strange. I never felt any kicks. I never felt anything, said McIntyre, who has been detailing her miracle journey on, you guessed it, TikTok. Um... I don't know if she's making this story up to get a lot of TikTok subscribers, but they claim, she claims, and the Post writes, that her pregnancy even went undetected by a doctor she visited while struggling with stomach pain in January, just a month before she gave birth. I just don't believe this. I do not believe this. I don't believe that she didn't know she was pregnant, and the pregnancy test came back negative, and she went to a doctor... And the doctor didn't see that she was pregnant. I just, I think it's crazy. The doctor supposedly chalked McIntyre's discomfort up to having her gallbladder removed at the age of 23, which often makes someone constipated. So she assumed that it was abdominal pain from being backed up. I I find this very suspicious. And look, she comes across as a very nice lady. I just watched... One of her videos, but I I don't buy this. 34 years old, you're going to give birth and not even know you're pregnant? I find it suspicious, very suspicious. There was a, a scene like that, or there's an episode like that on the TV show, Mad Men. And I thought the same thing, where someone gives birth without knowing they're pregnant. I said, come on. It's just, I don't, is it possible? Yes. But I think it's incredibly unlikely this is a sophisticated, worldly woman who's had a lot of experience knowing her own body as an adult. And she didn't know she was pregnant. I am very suspicious. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we've covered thus far. Coming up, we'll discuss booze and weddings. Until then, your influence counts. Be sure
18: to use it.
0: This is
1: Frank Moreno. And uh, look, when my wife and I got married four years ago, uh, I had, you know, I left all the details of the plans to, to her. And almost everything, almost everything, there was only one thing that I insisted on. The only thing was when we met with our wedding planner and so forth, only item that I insisted on was that there absolutely had to be an open bar. Absolutely had to be. And I said, um, and there's different options when you go to a catering hall or whatever, in terms of what kind of open bar you want. You could get a, um open bar with well drinks. Absolutely not. What was the doorbell? I don't even get what that's supposed to be.
16: I wanted to play a boxing bell when you said, when you're going down the list. Okay. And I hit the wrong button. <laughs> uh, doorbell.
1: Okay, fine. All right. Um, you had dogs all over the listening areas uh, barking now for no reason. But then um, I said, absolutely not. No. I'm not going to have a situation where uh, my cousin goes to the bar and orders a Grey Goose dirty martini. And they said, oh, no, I'm sorry. We don't have, we can't give you Grey Goose. We can only give you well vodka. I mean, no, 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 no. So I insisted that there had to be a top shelf open bar. And it's not even for me. I don't think I had one drink uh, at, our, at our wedding. It was just because I know in our family there's many heavy drinkers. And um, then Carmine's Christening, same thing. Totally deferred to my wife on the food. Whatever she wanted to do, uh, whatever she wanted to do in terms of cake, whatever she wanted to do in terms of vendors, I'm there, you know, to pay for these things. Fine. My one condition was absolutely has to be a top-shelf open bar. Well, now there is a growing trend of dry wetting. Dry weddings are becoming increasingly popular. Basically, this is exactly what it sounds like, a non-alcoholic trend. So you're seeing um, more and more couples, according to ABC News, more and more couples are leaving alcohol off the menu at more and more weddings. And there are all sorts of reasons uh, and this is, again, another thing that's trending on TikTok. The hashtag "dry drywedding um, has seen a surge with over 3 million views on TikTok. A, as more co- couples opt in favor of the new sober curious, that's what they call it, sober curious. They used to call it teetotaling. Now it's called sober curious celebrations some would-be wedding guests have reacted with mixed reviews. Beverages are, all, are usually around 25% of the overall food and beverage cost. In 2023, nearly 4% of couples are expected to have alcohol-free weddings. Now, I'm a big believer that y- you should do what you want. Right, You should. It's your party. It's your wedding. It's your blank. Do what you want to do. If people don't want to come, if they don't know it's an alcohol-free wedding, fine. Then they're not really there for you anyway. That being said, um, I understand all the reasons that people may not want to drink. Some people don't drink for health reasons. Uh, because they might have uh, diabetes or some sort of condition some sort of health condition which alcohol worsens get it fine some people might not want to drink because they're in recovery they're sober they're, they they were not they're an alcoholic and they don't want to be around booze get that some people may not want to drink for uh, religious reasons maybe you're a mormon maybe you're a muslim those celebrations those religions don't necessarily uh, put a they don't have a place for alcohol. Well, maybe you just don't want to drink. Fine. I really think it is so selfish for a couple to get married and ha- or have any sort of a big party, but especially a wedding where people are expecting alcohol to be a part of that and not have alcohol. Not everyone has to do the top-shelf open bar like we did. But not everyone has to do an open bar, period. Even if you just do beer and wine. I, I was talking to someone yesterday. She was telling me at her wedding they didn't have a lot of money. She got married very young. And they they just did beer and wine. Fine. Fine. But to have no booze whatsoever at one of these weddings, I think um, I realize that the wedding is about the couple getting married. I, I do. But you know, if this is your wedding and you're putting together this party, that people are going to have a worse time if there's no booze. Um, eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. if you want to comment on the rise of dry weddings, whether you drink or not, would you ever do this? I wouldn't. Not, I mean, I do drink, but I... I I, I think this is so incredibly selfish. Um, maybe it's a cost-cutting measure for some people. It's significantly less expensive in order to avoid having alcohol. But uh, my wife was telling me, and I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this, when her parents got married, her parents, when they got married, they were uh, evangelical Christians. And they there's no... Christian prohibition on booze but for whatever reason they decided they didn't want alcohol at their wedding. And my wife's grandparents didn't go because of that. They didn't go. Can you imagine that not going to your daughter's wedding? And they didn't they threw their own private wedding reception to them for them that they invited friends and family to. But first of all, I think that's ridiculous to not go to your daughter's wedding because there's no uh, alcohol. But they were, I never met these folks, but everyone has nice things to say about them. And it's really not in keeping with what little I know of them. But they were, they said, no, I don't want to go and be embarrassed and have uh, my friends and my family come to this wedding and nobody can get a drink at the bar. And that was a big deal a big deal they were all about it uh, another another person my wife knows she happens to be muslim she drinks her husband drinks they're both muslim they got married in a traditional muslim wedding their parents don't know that they drink so they had a dry wedding to maintain this illusion that they're alcohol-free, which they're not. But even if you are, even if you are saying you're alcohol-free, can't you just say that um, you're getting married and you're having an option for alcohol just for the guests? Uh, Another person that I'm related to got married. His wife was 19. Not even old enough to drink. They did not have alcohol at their wedding. Not beer, not wine. No booze. Dry wedding. That that was before it was fashionable. That was six or seven years ago. Maybe more. And uh, no, it was more than that. Maybe about 10 years ago. I think I would never do that. Even if you're in recovery. Even if you're sober. I think it's a really selfish thing to do to your guests. What do you think? 800-848-9222. Again, some people may want to do it for cost. Some people may want to do it for religion. Some people may want to do it because they and their partner are both in recovery. I would never do it. And even I could certainly see a time when uh, I stopped drinking, when I stopped, if I were to stop drinking. But if I threw a party, I would still have booze. You know, for instance, it's the same thing. To some extent, where if you're a vegetarian, are you really going to have a party and not serve meat? I, I mean, I think that's a little selfish, too, honestly. Meat is a staple. It's what a lot of people do expect. And I think people, you know, people would like that as at least an option. I, uh, and that, that does, you know, Tom Likas, who's been a guest on this show many times, the radio talk show host, he is on this very strict diet, no salt, no anything. I mean, it's just very. I don't even know the full restrictions of this of this diet that he's on, but he can eat almost nothing. And he had a Super Bowl party, and I said, "Do, do you have everybody eat that health food that you, you know, that you that you are eating with your diet?" And he said, no, I mean, I'll have that kind of food and people can have it, but I have regular food for them. There's chips, there's wings, people can have whatever they want. And we do the same thing, you know, in our house. Just because we don't eat something doesn't mean that uh, we wouldn't have it. What do you think of this dry wedding trend? Do you think this is something that is going to grow in popularity, this new sober, curious movement? Or is this something that is... A flash in the pan, a fad, as it were. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two twenty two. 848 hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Brandon is in New
19: Jersey. Hello, Brandon. Hey, Frank. Hey. You're trying to tell me you didn't have a single drink at your wedding? Come on. I um
1: I I did not actually. I had um there there was an after party and then there was an after party after party and i can assure you i'm more th- we got married uh during the day and uh I, at the after party i had a drink and then at the after party after party which was held by my friend john tobacco th- he threw that first beautiful party uh i had i had several drinks at that
19: okay all uh, right, that sounds a little better yeah <laughs> no but yeah on topic i think it's uh i think it's a travesty and you know? i think you do need a little bit of um you know, alcohol to get everybody loosened up and have a good time. You know, it's part of the celebration. You need to have it.
1: Yeah, and, and and I don't know if people give warnings when they're going to a dry wedding, but the wedding, and thank you, Brandon, the wedding that I was describing before um, that I was not present at, but my wife was, that was a dry wedding where the bride was 19, she said that, what she and her family did, except for her mom, is they all drank in their hotel room. So, I mean, what's the point? Who are you really saving? I mean, I guess you're saving money, but uh, what's the point of even throwing a party? I mean, if, if you're that concerned with money, go elope. 800 9222 John is in Queens. Hello, John. Hey, Frank. How are you? I'm hanging in there, John.
18: Attaboy. Hey, listen, I'm a wedding DJ and... A few years ago, I had to sit down with a mother who was so embarrassed about her daughter throwing a vegan wedding. It was awful. It was terrible, and even she was so she was so embarrassed. The bride wanted a vegan cake. Vegan cake? The mo- wow. Yeah, I didn't know they made a vegan cake, but that's where the 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 mother drew a line at the vegan cake. She said, "No, no, no." You could have your vegan cake, but I gotta have a regular cake. Certainly, when I do these dry weddings and dry events and stuff like that, vegan wedding, people just look miserable. It's just awful. You should at least have something for your guests, at least beer and wine. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, again, there's nothing wrong with beer and wine. You
1: I mean, you get what you can afford. No. Um, and, you know, fine, beer and wine. you got to have something. I agree with you. But as far as that, look, and I understand that a lot of vegans are that way because um, it's not even necessarily for health reasons but sometimes because they don't want animals killed or exploited. I get that. That being said, I, I think, you know, give vegan options – But to have a completely vegan wedding, I I think is a little selfish, honestly. Um, And again, I realize it's about the couple getting married. I don't think it's appropriate. I think you got to give people a baseline of what they've come to expect at parties. If not, there ought to be warning after warning on that. 800-848-9222. Mike is in Pennsylvania. Hello, Mike.
18: Hey, Frank. You know, I was hearing about the Christians not having booze. I mean, Jesus' first miracle was making booze at a wedding. Yeah, I, I said that. Want. You're
1: right. I, I was, mean. you know, I was talking to my wife about that because she. Uh, but, um, but here's the other. Yeah.
6: The other thing, too, Frank, is some people, they might not have it. I wouldn't have it now because lawsuits. Somebody gets too drunk, has an accident. They'll come back and sue you, whether they're your
12: friends or not. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I
1: guess. Um, I, I, uh, I, I, I hear that. I mean, I would think they'd probably, I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but I would think they'd be more likely to sue the venue as a social host problem. But hopefully, you know, uh, people can drink and travel responsibly. You don't have to get tanked. Not everybody gets tanked. By the way, Jesus, that's a good point that, uh, that he made there. Jesus was drunk a lot. Jesus was a very heavy drinker. In the book of Luke, chapter 7, verse 34, we read that Jesus' critics called him a drunkard. What did Jesus say in response? He didn't deny it. He never denied that at all. So he consumed copious amounts of alcohol. If you read the uh, if you read the Gospels, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 848 9222 Jack is in New Jersey. Hello,
12: Jack. Frank, I totally disagree with you. And I'll tell you why you can't compare food with alcohol. And I'm going to tell you why, because in a society, when we need something artificial to feel good, there's something wrong. When you come on my boat, there's no drinking. Okay. Uh, are you there?
1: Yeah, I'm listening to you, Jack.
12: Oh, okay. Look at your life. If By the you way, have to remind question, me not to oh, agree I to any vote invitations then from Jack. You notice know something wrong with that, right? Alcohol is poison. If you take alcohol in the purest form, it'll kill you, right? Because it's poison. So you mean to tell me to have a good time? Because every time I see alcohol at any party, especially like my son's birthday parties for the kids, The adults get drunk, there's fights. Oh, that's a nice thing for the kids to see all that nonsense, right? Alcohol, to me, always leads to problems, okay? I don't see anything wrong with having a wedding and everybody having a good time laughing, dancing, singing without artificial feel good. What do you think of that? Well,
1: Jack, I um, look, I certainly don't think that people um, need to drink. At a wedding. I I certainly don't think that people should do as you just described. And I've seen that too get drunk in front of their uh, children or their family members and things of that nature. And I get exactly what you're saying. I just I I think that for the last few thousand years of human civilization, alcohol has been. And again, it's your boat. You make whatever kind of rules you want. But uh, alcohol has been so intertwined with wedding celebrations that I think people are going to expect at the very least, even people that never drink, they'll have a glass of, of, of wine or champagne at their, at their family members wedding. I I just think that um, if you want to steer people away from that, even then maybe you have a cash bar, but uh, I, I, I disagree with you. I totally hear where you're coming from, Jack.
12: What you're doing is rationalizing the wrong for right. That's what we always do. Did you ever see the movie uh, Midnight Express when he's in court? Yes. Telling the IRAB judges what's popular is the law. And when it's not so popular, it's against the law, right?
1: You know, that's a good point. Maybe that is what I'm doing, uh, Jack. You might be right. Look, I can't argue with you what you're saying. Alcohol is bad for you. It's empty calories, makes you do stupid things, kills brain cells. I get that. He's right. Um, but I still, I just would never do this. I just, I, I, and there's no amount of convincing. That no amount of logic that you could throw my way that would alter my view. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Matt plays. Where are you on this?
16: I think it's a little kooky. I mean, I'm not a big drinker, but right. I would never I know, have. That's a, why I ask. I you, would yeah. never have a party. And not have alcohol at the party. I, I wouldn't do it. It's just I, when you have a party, people expect there to be drinks. And not to say it makes it more fun, but it does loosen people up. It gets people in the mood to have a good time. And it's just nothing wrong with it. By the logic of saying everybody does stupid things and there's fights, it's like that's like saying every time there's a wedding with alcohol, there's a fight at the wedding. I've DJed a lot of weddings. And I don't think I have I even remember ever there being a fight because two people got drunk at the wedding.
1: Uh, same here. And I was in the wedding videography business and the event videography business, a lot of bar mitzvahs, things like that. And I've certainly been to more than my fair share as a guest, as a groomsman, and at least one as a groom. And I um, have never seen any fights at weddings. Here is some audio from um, one of the couples that was profiled on ABC News's Good morning America. I believe this is uh, either Kathleen or John Bohatch. They had a dry wedding in Northern California in front of 150 friends and family but left booze off the invite list.
13: No one had an issue with there not being alcohol. People were just happy to be there.
4: When I was t- talking to my friends, they were very open to the idea. They're like, "Okay, it's I mean, it's your wedding, it's your special day."
1: Now they're right. It is their wedding. It is your special day. And if you care about them, you know, you go and support them, but it's just—you know what it is? It's annoying. It's annoying. It really is. That's the best I uh, description I could give for this. Uh, Kenneth, where are you on this? I was just gonna say you—you you gotta have an
17: open bar too. It can't be a cash bar.
1: In yeah, terms of, well, in terms I get I, yeah. the
17: alcohol. Thing. I agree. I agree. I—I I mean, and to have no—I'd obviously prefer a cash bar over no alcohol Same. at all. Right. Because right. that's just absurd.
1: Yeah, um, it, 100%. Could not agree more. Uh, Paul is on Staten Island. Hello, Paul.
19: Hello, Frank. Paul! Can you
12: hear me? Oh, yeah, sorry. Sure. Let me get you a speak. I'm sorry, brother. That's I'm in right. the truck working. Not as sorry as I him.
1: am. Believe me. <laughs> I'm
12: Sorry. But listen, this is the most
6: selfish thing I've ever heard in my life. It's not the case of imposing your will on other people. It's not even the fact of getting drunk. Certain wines complement certain foods. You know what I'm trying to say? Well, that's a
1: great point. That's true. But, I mean, you you don't have to have the wine, the people will say. Um, but what about— No,
6: and some people only, only drink at, at weddings, so when right. your last call is saying yeah, it's poison, yeah, it's poison. But the couple of times a year that you're going to drink out of, that you're
18: waiting for a wedding to drink is not going to kill you. Well, and you, you know, know what? Even Jesus drank. Well, like you were saying, even Jesus drank. And, and you know but, what?
1: you know what, Paul? My view is if you don't want to drink alcohol, don't drink alcohol.
18: Nobody's forcing That's
1: anybody that. to drink it.
19: A hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent right. One hundred percent. Thank God I don't know anyone like this
6: because I would, I would, I would talk to them no more. Well, I mean, I think that's <laughs> little extreme. very selfish to me, Paul. If you well, have think about it, they're posing their will on other people.
1: I know, I know, but I, I and uh, I, I, I hear you, but I, I mean, I would clearly, if you're friends with someone, you're friends with them for a reason. I wouldn't end a friendship. Or a family relationship because of a decision yeah, about it. Uh, Paul, if you have a boat, invite me on it. I'm going to go on your boat when Jack invites me on his. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Joe is in New Jersey. Hello, Joe.
21: Hey, Big Dan. How you doing this morning?
1: Yeah. Hey. Uh, did you say Big I, Dan? Is that what you said?
21: Pardon. Big man.
1: Oh, big man. Okay, got it.
21: Okay. There you go. Hey, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Uh, I haven't had a drink in uh, about ten years. Uh, I really loused myself up, to say the very least. But I have to say this, that uh, I'm very happy where I am today. But I would never, ever, ever consider throwing a party, an affair, et cetera, and not allowing my guests to, you know, in- enjoy themselves, which, by the way, would be the serving of liquor, food, etc., that they would appreciate. It's not my con- issue is the fact that I abused it and I cannot drink anymore. Well and,
1: and I'm glad you called um Larry because I've known many people that have um, been uh, excuse me uh, I was getting an email about Larry snoring Joe. Um yeah. I I, uh, I was um I've known a lot of people that have been in recovery over the years and I know how difficult that is and I'm glad you're doing well with it and I'm glad you recognize that you had a problem. But I don't think any of the people that I know that don't drink would ever do this. Honestly, I don't think they would ever have a party and not have booze as an option, at the very least beer. Uh, I was at a wedding um, last summer, and they didn't have any liquor; they just had beer, and you know what? It was fine. People people had a great time. Thanks, Joe. Eight hundred eight. Good luck with everything you're you're going through. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Rob, what's on your mind? Hi right, Frank, uh,
12: I think you hit it on the head. Annoying is the perfect word. And I think I wouldn't, I don't even know if I'd go. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to lose a friendship over it, but I think it's ridiculous. I don't know where the conversation started because I just put the radio on. I haven't listened to you in a little bit. But annoying is perfect. Have a great day, Frank. Thank Bye. you,
1: Rob. Jack. I'm still here,
12: brother.
4: All right, Jack. What's your comment? How many you are spot on? Spot on. If you can't pay for it, you know, see I hate that it's the confused tight. people that always say money. that I'm spot on. It's never the people
1: that Some are people uh, like on their A
18: game. To have a drink when when they
4: go to a wedding. It's rude. That would be my point.
18: Yeah,
1: I'm with you, Jack. Thank you. I uh, appreciate that. Uh yeah, somebody else emailed me. If someone leaves a wedding drunk and gets in an accident, can the married couple be sued? Well, look, anybody can be sued, but I don't think they would be held liable. I think that would be – and I mean, unless they uh, – it was at their house or something. But if it's at a catering hall or a restaurant, I would think it's the restaurant or the bar that has that social host problem. Uh, Tom in the Bronx, hello.
6: Yeah, I – like it uh, has been said that uh, the alcohol – People start imbibing it, and fights can start to break out. The, I say this, uh, Frank, uh, alcohol should be used for uh, alcohol fuels, not for drinking, actually. if you Maybe they should just be alcohol fuels, uh, running cars, trucks, and buses, and...
1: Hating All right. Thank you, Tom. I will give the last word on this to Steve in Manhattan. Hello, Steve.
6: Yes,
13: so I have a, a vague opinion on this.
18: You
1: say a vague opinion or a big opinion?
11: A vague opinion. A
1: vague opinion. Let me hear the vague opinion.
11: Yes, I think uh, Jews drink blood
19: from Christian children. That's what I think.
1: You think Jews drink Lard from or, or from Christian children?
19: Yes, blood.
1: Oh, blood from Christian children. Yes. All right. Well, uh, I mean, I I'm glad you're so open about your anti-Semitism. Sometimes you have folks that at least try and couch that anti-Semitism in um, some dog whistle or code language. But I'm glad you're so open about it, and people know that uh, know exactly where you're coming from. Obviously. That is not true, um, and I think that's a pretty sick comment to make. All right. If you would like to try and win $1,000, be the seventh caller right now to eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 9222 If you are the seventh caller to eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two, 9222 we are going to play the $1,000 minute. And uh, if you answer all 10 questions in 60 seconds or less, you will be a $1,000 richer. Simple as that. Uh, we'll get into it. Uh, the $1,000 minute call now, 800 848 9222. Straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Frank Morano.
10: And my good buddy Wiser That's all I ever need Cause I drink alone Yeah, with nobody else Yeah, you know when I drink alone I prefer to be by myself
1: George Thorogood and the Destroyers yeah, I drink alone I, That's something I try never to do You know why? Because of the William Shatner movie, Free Enterprise, and Shatner, who plays a version of himself, is uh, at a bar, and these two big Shatner fans run into him at the bar, and um, I said, Bill, what are you doing here? And he says, well, if all goes according to plan, I'll I'll, uh, consume uh, large amounts of alcohol. And he says, but why would you drink here? Well, you could drink anywhere. Why wouldn't you drink home? And Bill says, well, that's called alcoholism. So that's always stuck in my brain. So I try not to do that George Thorogood um, situation and drink alone. Um, All right. Without further ado, it is time for us to give one lucky, lucky person an opportunity to win some money. It is time for
0: The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank
1: Murano. Let us say hello to Kurt on Staten
6: Island. Hello, Kurt.
21: Hello, hello. Hello,
6: Frank. Hey, listen, I just want to say one thing. You know, a lot of people don't know that George Thorough could, it wasn't actually the destroy, it was a Delaware destroyers. Oh.
1: Okay, I did not know that all right.
6: we sure story good in the Delaware destroyers. Yes, yes sir. I appreciate because that's where that. they were from. Oh, okay, good to know. thank uh. you.
1: All right, Kurt, are you familiar <laughs> with this game? Have you heard it before?
6: Yeah, I've heard it I've done I've done a million times.
1: okay, <laughs> all right, so you know what to do, right? We can get started
6: Yeah, Go okay. Ahead.
1: How many letters are in the word dog?
3: Well oh, three.
1: What Jewish holiday begins this week?
6: Oh, boy. That one, I don't know.
1: Oh, come on. You know it. They eat matzah. No unleavened bread. No leavened bread. Everything's got to be kosher. Oh, 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 Passover. What former comedian and actor is currently the president of Ukraine?
6: Um, um, What the heck is his name? Vladimir? Vladimir, Oh, my God. Uh, I, I don't know. Come on. It
1: starts with Z. You can do it. Z. Yeah.
4: No, I don't know. I don't uh, know.
1: All right. All right. Uh, you didn't make it to the James Madison question. Zelensky. Volodymyr Zelensky.
6: Oh, Zelensky. So yeah, yeah. See, and I, you know, I, I, I just, I drew a blank. That's all. <laughs> I, that's what happens. That's what happens.
1: Now, don't beat yourself up or, over it. But you knew it as soon no, as I, I won't, said won't. it,
6: right? Hey, listen, I won't die. Huh?
1: You knew it as soon as I said it, right? That it was Zelensky?
3: yeah. No, Zelensky.
10: But I, yeah, Zelensky. I, I find it so blank, interesting, though,
1: Kurt, though, that you were you were quick enough to immediately remember George Thurgood and the Delaware Destroyers, but Zelensky, yes, whose name I hear five hundred times a day, hears name in my
6: sleep. And, and you know, I do. I, I, you know what you want to say, Frank, I've, I've been listening to the stuff about the alcohol thing, too, you know, I've listened to that. I've been up since three o'clock this morning. Ah, I go to okay. bed, bed very early, you know, and I, I want to say this. No, I agree with you. You know, listen, people don't. If, look, you serve alcohol at a wedding or whatever. You, you, you don't have to drink.
1: Right. Nobody's got to drink.
6: No, I mean, it's a choice that you make.
1: Yeah, uh, exactly, Kurt. Hey, hang on. Um, give Kenneth your information. We're going to send you a consolation prize, okay?
6: All right. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, man.
1: Kurt. Call again, okay?
6: Uh, all right. Well, I've called you many times before.
1: All right. Well, don't stop now because uh, you, you no, lost I'm not the conversation.
6: I mean, it's been a while, but okay. All, all right. right welcome thank back. Thank you,
1: Frank. Good to have you back. All right. Thank you. Hey, by the way, if you ever miss any portion of this show, You can uh, download the podcast. Go to redapplepodcastnetwork.com or you can search The Other Side of Midnight on any podcast app. Just search The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hit the subscribe button and uh, you can uh, immediately get the show downloaded a couple hours after the show to your phone. While you're subscribing to podcasts, you must check out The Racket Report. That is a podcast I do that is focused primarily on organized crime issues. And it's really, if you'll pardon my being immodest, I think it's really terrific. We do a lot of great work. My guest this week is Scott Bernstein. And we talk about the Detroit mob. He is the editor, the publisher of a website called The Gangster Report. Now, if you're not familiar with The Gangster Report, well, I asked Scott about it. Tell me what you what The Gangster Report is, and if folks haven't visited it, tell what tell folks what you're trying to do
21: there. Yeah, so I, I kind of fancy it as kind of the Rolling Stones. I mean, if you're someone who, who likes music and, you know, Rolling Stone magazine is something that's kind of up your alley, I have I kind of wanted to take that blueprint and, and move it into the true crime space. So I, I cover, you know, the underworld in the way that I think Rolling Stone magazine covers music. But in the same way, I, I like to have a through line of pop culture, uh, music, film, politics, fashion, uh, stuff that, you know, there are cultural touchstones for people to relate to the crimes that I'm reporting on. Uh, and I like to be diverse and versatile, so I'm not just reporting on the Italian mafia, although I do a lot of reporting on, on the uh, current and past Italian mob in America. I also uh, drill down on you know notorious African-American drug gangs and street gangs, and uh, over the last handful of years, I've started to really um, put a focus on, uh, on the biker underworld, which is underreported on, but there's a lot been
11: going on in the last few years.
1: So it was a really interesting conversation. I want to encourage you to listen to it. You can go to Red Apple Podcast Network, search The Racket Report, or you can just search The Racket Report on any podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, whatever. And if you do listen to us on iTunes, please give us a five-star review. That will help more people discover the podcast. And if you leave a nice comment, that will help more people discover the podcast as well. Have you ever seen a film, a television show, or even a documentary where a Tyrannosaurus Rex is depicted? Think about what they look like in the films that you've seen, whether it's Jurassic Park or something else. They're scary, right? Why are they so scary? Part of the reason they're so scary... Is because if you look at all these depictions of T Rexes that have been in cinema, cartoons, animation, books, wherever, you see these big, sharp, giant teeth that look like they're ready to eat anybody that gets in their path. I mean it's scary. To see those big sharp teeth, not really covered by anybody. Well, some new information that I just find uh, fascinating. Contrary to popular depictions of the king of the dinosaurs with razor sharp fangs protruding from its jaw, a new study suggests that the Tyrannosaurus rex had his fearsome teeth were actually hidden behind lizard like lips. So I want to warn you that some critics are pushing back against this idea. But this paper published uh, Thursday in the journal Science, because as uh, Lloyd Lindsay Young would say, it's science, proposes a change in how the world sees T-Rex. It might be time to shift the toothy imagining of the dinosaur that filmmakers have picked up on, leading to great depictions like uh, Jurassic Park. Robert Reese, a paleontologist at the University of Toronto, co-wrote this paper. He told the Washington Post there were lots of monster movies with toothy dinosaurs, but the Jurassic Park series specifically made him groan and moan about the multitude of errors and inaccuracies that started us talking about this issue. So before this study, scientists thought the T-Rex had a mouth similar to a crocodile's, in which the teeth are visible even when the jaw is shut. And if you look at a crocodile's mouth, it's pretty scary too, right? But given the close relation um, between the reptiles, this hypothesis made sense. After all, nobody's actually seen a T-Rex. Furthermore, many paleontologists believed that T. rex teeth were simply too large not to poke out of the dinosaurs' mouths. Some Tyrannosaurus teeth might have been longer than six inches. Think about that, a tooth bigger than six inches. That's according to um, the best guesses that we have. However, a tooth from a relative of the uh, the T. rex named the Das Das Platosaurus provided a key piece of evidence in support of lips. The scientists embedded the tooth in resin, and they used a diamond-studded saw to slice it. They realized that the tooth's enamel lacked significant wear. Had the dinosaur's tooth been exposed to dry air in a lip-free mouth the way, say, crocodiles are, its enamel would have been more degraded, according to scientists. After all, if you look at a crocodile's teeth, they suffer lots of damage. I mean, you, you take a crocodile to a dentist, and that dentist looks at you as if you've just bought them a new yacht. Because there is a lifetime of dental work with that crocodile. After all, these crocodilian teeth suffer all sorts of damage due to their lack of protection from lips or lip-like tissue. An American alligator might go through some 3,000 teeth in its lifetime, but the T-Rex required about two years to replace just one tooth. This suggests that these dinosaurs needed lips. To preserve their fangs. Additionally the team compared skull lengths. And tooth sizes of more than 20 fossilized dinosaurs. And several other lizard species. And they found that like the Komodo dragon. The T-Rex could seemingly fit its chompers behind a lipped mouth. So this study challenges the media portrayals of the T-Rex's toothy grin. But it's not the first time that we've heard this. People have theorized this before. In the past several years, paleontologists proposed that the T-Rex couldn't run and had a larger tail than previously thought. You know you know how they go back and edit these movies? How they took Donald Trump out of Home Alone 2, Lost in New York? How they, they go back and edit all this stuff for to make it fit with the PC depictions of the day. They, they don't show that episode of The Office anymore where it's a diversity training day. I think they ought to go back and remake Jurassic Park and digitally edit out the T-Rex. I'm not joking about this, by the way. I'm going to write a letter to Steven Spielberg and suggest this. They ought to digitally edit out the T-Rex and replace it with a T-Rex that has lips. Is the movie less scary because of it? Is it less enjoyable? Maybe. But I think accuracy should count for something. People should know that if they try to bring back the T-Rex through some cloning experiment gone awry, that it's going to have lips. My take. So some people are saying that they don't find this persuasive. I happen to. 800-848-9222. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame in a moment. I want to wish a happy birthday to political consultant uh, Rick Shafton. He was sort of a legendary New Jersey political consultant, but uh, I think he moved to the Carolinas. I think he sent me a message on Facebook Messenger the other day, now that I think about it, wanting to come on the show. By the way, if you send me a message on Facebook Messenger, I probably will not check it. Um, The best way to reach me, if you want to reach me, email, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Second best way to reach me, SMS text message, 816-8-MORANO. Third best way to reach me is direct message on Twitter, at Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. After that, you're not going to reach me unless you run into me, in which case you'll be lucky. I'll give you a pen. Um so happy birthday Rick Shafton also happy birthday to Len Bernardo. Uh Len Bernardo is an old friend of mine for when we were active in the Independence Party together. He's still very active in local affairs. His wife is an elected official up uh, upstate, I think either in Ulster or Dutchess County. A great guy and um a, a really just a wonderful guy and a smart guy too. So um he's uh happy birthday to him. Hope everybody's doing something fun today. And uh if it's your birthday today, you are celebrating with none other than Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man himself. Um and so happy birthday to all the and Clive Davis turning ninety today. So happy birthday to him. And um well that's really it's really kind of it in terms of major birthdays, I believe. 800 848 9222. If you want to be heard for 15 seconds, now is the time. 800 848 9222. 15 seconds of fame
0: straight ahead. The other side of midnight. 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 It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano.
10: sun goes down
1: Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight from Stevie G and the T-Totalers. Uh, this song is available on iTunes. You should check it out. All right. Uh, without further ado, let's give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds. 800-848-9222 as part of...
0: The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame.
13: Neil! The biggest threat to the United States isn't China
17: or Russia. It's the Democratic holder.
11: Raji. Greed, greed, greed. When inflation rises to just 10
12: percent, supermarkets and other greedy businesses raise prices to up to 50, even 100 percent. But inflation decreases. Prices don't decrease. Mike. Morning, Frank.
6: Who's at my wedding? That was one of the reasons I had to show up. Oh yeah, and the cake. There was that too.
18: Leo. Good
5: morning. Even though I almost don't drink, wedding without alcohol is like beer without foam. Uh, if the people because it's their day for the lot, not to drink. It's gonna create bad blood down the road.
13: Robert. Write your congressperson to make fentanyl a Schedule One controlled substance. Illegal. Completely.
18: Roy. Frank, make sure you tell us to Sid.
17: The first shot that Biden took when he got the pandemic was done by Trump. He took a Trump injection, not his own, his, or the Trump shot. Make sure Sid gets that info.
1: Sal.
15: Sizzle moron, Sizzle moron,
6: Tom. Hello. I'd like to say that. There was a dinosaur in Italy. They found the bones that uh, can take down the ty- Tyrannosaurus rex and its teeth were more vicious, too.
12: Cheech. Crucify him. We want Barabbas. Crucify him. We want Barabbas. Crucify him. We want Barabbas. Freddy. Freddy. Ray? Is it Ray?
1: Oh, no, not according to Ken, but go ahead, Ray.
12: Oh, uh, yeah,
4: John Fetterman hid that he suffered from depression for a long time from the American people, the Pennsylvania voters, so I wouldn't hold him up that high. Thank you. Thank you,
1: Ray. All right, that about slams the lid on things for today. Tomorrow, action-packed show. I'm going to play you some fun presidential audio. Dr. Sky on this crew that's going to space. A.I. Updates, A.I. Updates, and was Leonardo da Vinci the son of a slave? We'll get into it. Frank Moreno, good day.